Merry Christmas, everybody. Saturday night, July the 16th, year 2016. My dad's birthday today, 85. Well, Patricia and I will be with you in a half hour. We're going to play a Fibber McGee and Molly Christmas show for December 21, 1948. But first, let's say a Thank you for this wonderful time. Bless our friends, our family, the country we live in. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Stand by, everybody. Jaws Professional One Sat Items V. Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro 11.0 Alt Tab One Saturday Seven Dash Items V. Friday More Friday Fibber McGee and Molly One Two Dash Two One Dash Unloading Jaw Can OK Enter One Saturday Seven. WMAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago. For incredibly fast relief from pains of headaches, neuritis, or neuralgia, try Anison tablets. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients. Get A-N-A-C-I-N, Anison, today. <laughs> the Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Well, I guess there's not much doubt that the kind of beauty women want in their kitchens is practical beauty. Maybe that accounts for the popularity of Johnson's self-polishing floor wax, Glow Coat. The beauty in Glow Coat, of course, is the luster it gives your linoleum. Especially now that there's a new glow in Glow Coat, a glow that makes every inch of your linoleum shine far more brightly than before. Well, there's a practical quality in Johnson's Glow Coat, too, and that's the protection it gives your linoleum. It certainly would be surprising if you or anyone could go through the holidays without scuffing up the linoleum surface a bit, or spilling liquids when you're washing the dishes. Well, Johnson's Glow Coat, bright and pretty as it is to look at, covers your linoleum with a hard, dry finish that protects and makes it so easy to clean. Ask for Johnson's Glow Coat, the floor wax that now shines with a brighter, warmer glow. Your dealer has the new Glow Coat in the same familiar yellow container with the bright red band. Take some home and see what we mean by practical beauty in the kitchen. No holiday is a complete success with everybody. 
Cops, for instance, hate Halloween. The Army thinks Navy Day is silly. If you're a turkey, you're entitled to a low opinion of Thanksgiving. And what a mailman thinks of Christmas is absolutely unthinkable. One of them has just relieved his aching back a trifle, however, by leaving a batch of greetings at 79 Wistful Vista, the home of Fibber McGee and Molly. Well, here's the mail, kiddo. Mostly Christmas cards, and... Hey, you know what? No, what? I wish the mailman a Merry Christmas, and he looks at me like I'd poisoned his dog or something. What goes with that sour puss? Well, what's so merry about Christmas to a mailman? Huh? He starts out holding the bag and winds up the same way. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right, but... Oh, look, a card from Uncle Dennis. Ah, uh, Uncle Dennis. Kentucky's greatest booster. <laughs> Straight Kentucky, that is. <laughs> What's the card? It's a picture of Santa Claus coming down the chimney upside down. Upside down? Yeah. <laughs> it says, Merry Christmas and bottoms up, Uncle Dennis. <laughs> That's him, all right. Boy, the government missed a great bet when they passed him up during the war. What a production man he'd have made. Why? You ever know a guy that could locate a bottleneck quicker or get to the bottom of it faster? <laughs> I just love opening Christmas cards. Yeah. Who's that one from? Old man McDonald from the Third National Bank. It's a picture of him in a Santa Claus outfit, foreclosing a mortgage on a ragged widow and three barefoot kids standing out in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Says, just kidding, of course, McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, my clavicle. That guy's got less heart than the salary on the blue plate special. Hey, here's a pretty Christmas card. Let me see it. Oh, yes, isn't this sweet? Mm -hmm. It says, though Christmas comes but once a year, it brings back memories all so dear of friends whose hearts are strong and true, old friends, good friends, dear friends like you. Da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> Little drippy, but nice. <laughs> who's it from? Well, it's signed, uh, with love, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I wonder who that could... Wait a minute. It isn't addressed to us. It's addressed to you. To me? From Elizabeth? <laughs> <laughs> Who do I know named Elizabeth? Well, I'm sure I don't know, dearie. Just some casual acquaintance, no doubt. My casual acquaintances don't sign Christmas cards with love, Snooky. My gosh. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Very. Some schoolgirl friend of yours, probably. Not likely. Any schoolgirl friend of mine has got an ear trumpet and grandchildren by this time. <laughs> hey, this is kind of intriguing, you know that? It is? Elizabeth, Elizabeth. I wonder if that could be the rather attractive woman I gave my seat to on the streetcar last week. <laughs> Just as I was getting off. <laughs> I don't think so. She called me a lazy slob. Well, now, just don't worry about it, sweetheart. And stop smirking at yourself in the mirror. I wasn't smirking. I was just wondering how I'd look with a mustache. You did raise one once, remember? How'd I look? Well, I don't recall ever committing myself, but Dr. Gamble said you looked like an adolescent walrus with a vitamin deficiency. <laughs> but, of course, he was... Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Come Elizabeth. in. 
Elizabeth. Oh, it's Mayor Latrivia McGee. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hi, Elizabeth. Or, hi, Latrivia. Oh, hello, Mrs. McGee. McGee. Getting pretty nippy outside. Regular winter weather. Yeah, this is the kind of a day I like, Latriv. Brisk and bracing. Feels good not to have to go out in it. Sit down, Mr. Mayor. Sit down. We're just looking over some Christmas cards. Yeah, I got one here that kind of baffles me, Latriv. I don't know who it's from. Why don't you read the signature on it? Well, he did, Mr. Mayor. It's signed with love, Elizabeth, and himself can't remember any Elizabeth, he says. Got me kind of curious, Latriv. Oh, not that I figure I got any more secret admirers than anybody else, but... Well, you know how it is, getting a card signed love from somebody you can't place. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably just a mistake of some kind. Yeah. I'd certainly advise Mrs. McGee not to worry about anybody stealing her husband. <laughs> and I'll thank you to keep your advice to yourself, Latrivia. My wife can worry about me if she wants to. Can't you, Molly? Indeed, I can, dearie. <laughs> I certainly can, and I will, too, just as soon as we get Christmas out of the way. <laughs> See, I'll bet you get lots of letters at the City Hall from people you've never heard of, Mr. Mayor, don't Oh, you? yes, yes, we do, Mrs. McGee. Most of them full of suggestions about how to run the city. Ever take any of them? I take all of them. Good. Out and burn them. <laughs> A letter came just this morning warning me to have the paving fixed on 14th Street or else. It was signed anonymous. So naturally, uh, I signed how, Mr. Mayor? Anonymous. That's just oh, a anonymous, way of signing eh? something. Do you have many Irish friends like that, Latrim? <laughs> Irish friends? Like what? Like the man that wrote you the letter, Mr. Anonymous. Yeah. We knew a family named O'Callaghan and one named O'Lonigan, but uh... yeah, that is an Irish name, isn't it, Latrim? <laughs> We're Irish ourselves, you know. Molly was an O'Driscoll, and I've been an O'McGee for years. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is an Irish name. I've known the Anonymous family since boyhood. Huh? You have? Certainly. Terence Anonymous was a second cousin to Danny O'Donigan of the Donegal Donegans. He was? Well, that's odd because I and Molly were merely his trying to. His father start... was a Finnegan on his grandmother Flanagan's side, but the <laughs> Flanagans married into the Galligans, and the Galligans got into so many Brannigans with the Donegans that the Finnegans got tired of the shenanigans and said the Galligans were hooligans. <laughs> and everybody lost their tempers, but I'm not going to, because an unstrung harp is no good to anybody. Besides, I just dropped in to offer you the season's greetings, so Merry Christmas to both of you and good day. the orchestra with a medley of Christmas tunes.
Elizabeth, Elizabeth. I wonder if it... No, it couldn't be her. Just because a waitress smiles when she spills a bowl of soup in your lap is no sign McGee, she's... McGee, I ordered lamb chops for dinner if it's all right with you. Elizabeth, Elizabeth. McGee, are you still worrying about that Christmas card? Yeah. Throw it away. Yeah, but my gosh, Mom. Come I... in. Oh, for goodness sakes, McGee, it's Mr. Wimple. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hi, Wimp, old man. Hello, folks. My... My gracious, it's chilly today. I, I think it's going to snow again. What makes you think so? I just cleaned off our sidewalk. <laughs> I just love winter weather, though. Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. Yeah, we know. Sweetie Face and I always have a snowball fight every year. It's sort of a tradition with us. Oh. Sounds like fun. Well, I think it will be fun this year, Mrs. McGee. I made a whole big bunch of snowballs for myself last summer and hid them in the attic. Last summer you made snowballs? Yes. <laughs> we didn't have any snow handy, so I made them out of plaster. Plaster? Why, Mr. Wimple, isn't that awfully hard? Oh, no, it's easy. You just take half a brick, coat it with plaster, and let it dry. <laughs> well, I hope you have a nice Christmas present for your wife this year, Mr. Wimple. Oh, yes, indeedy, Mrs. McGee. I've been saving my allowance for simply years, and all her friends have fur coats, so this year I went down and bought her a mink. Oh. Heavenly days, a mink. Was she surprised? Oh, indeed she was. The minute I got it home, it bit her in the leg. <laughs> most surprised. Oh, my. You've got some pretty Christmas cards there. Yeah, I suppose we've got one from you here someplace, Wimp, but we haven't come to it yet. No, I didn't send any this year, folks. Oh. That's why I came over today. I'd like to read you a little Christmas verse that I... Well, it's sort of a serious verse. Oh. It's called The Chimney on the Corner. The Chimney on the Corner. Oh, read it, Wimp. All righty. The Chimney on the Corner. When the Santa on the corner smiles and rings his little bell and waves a cheery greeting and hopes that you are well, don't pass him with a hasty grin, but drop a coin or two, because the Army of Salvation plays St. Nicholas for you in places where a bowl of soup, a place to sleep tonight, a pair of shoes, another chance, keep hope still shining bright. We know the corner Santa Claus is good for lots of jokes, but he's a real Kris Kringle to a lot of other folks. Goodbye and Merry Christmas. Well, same here. Oh, my, my. Isn't he a nice little man? Yeah, well, I'm so okay. Oh, I forgot to ask him how'd he know who sent me this Christmas card if he did. I don't know how he should know. After all, just because... What are you doing? Huh? Oh. I'm just looking at my hair in the mirror. <laughs> I hadn't realized till today how a little touch of iron gray at the temples gives a man that distinguished look. <laughs> you noticed how much of a wave I'm getting in it. Don't let your hair go to your head, sweetheart. <laughs> Maybe that wave is just your hair saying goodbye. 
Besides, if this Elizabeth, whoever she is, could... Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. Merry Christmas. And to you, too, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah, you're a little previous, Junior, but since this is the last time we'll see you till after Christmas, and don't think I don't appreciate it, <laughs> happy Yuletide. Well, thank you. I was just out mailing some cards, and I thought I'd drop by. Hey, and... Junior, speaking of cards, I got a Christmas card here that I don't know who it's from. Really? What does it say? Well, it's addressed to me, see, and it's just signed, Love, Elizabeth. I don't know any Elizabeth, and it's got to be... you with love, pal? That's yeah. what it says, Mr. Wilcox. The thing is, Junior, there's lots of people that know me that I don't know them, you see. Even women. <laughs> sure, on, on account of I get saw around in public a lot, you know. <laughs> Prominent figures. Elks and everything. You mean you've got one or you are one? <laughs> Naturally, if some girl is struck by my looks and... Ask somebody my name. Well, I mean, there's no way I can help it. Say, now that you mention it, pal, a girl asked me your name just the other day. Uh -huh. Very attractive girl, too. You hear that, Molly? Oh, my gosh, this is even worse than I thought. What'd she say, Junior? Well, she pointed you out to me in Kramer's drugstore and asked me if I knew you and if I'd give you a message. Message? Gee whiz. Hey, is her name Elizabeth? Well, what's the message, Junior? Go ahead, tell Molly, too. We got no secrets. If girls I don't know want to send me messages, Molly knows there's nothing I can know. What'd she say to tell me? <laughs> Well, she said, and I quote exactly. Yeah. You tell Mr. McGee that one of the things that makes men most attractive to women is thoughtfulness. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that makes a kitchen most attractive is the Johnson self-polishing glow coat on the window. She said, tell him that the way to keep his wife always in love with him, the way to keep that happy glow on her face, is to see that her housework is made as easy as possible by keeping her supplied with glow coat always. Oh, dear Dorothy Dix. <laughs> because glow coat with its new built-in glow, that great beautifier and protector of your linoleum is so easy to apply. You simply pour it out, spread it around, let it dry in 20 minutes or less to a gleaming, sparkling finish that not only adds years of life to your linoleum, but makes dirt and dust so easy to wipe up. Uh, hey, and, hey, uh, hey, hey. Waxy. Yes, pal. Who was the lovesick creature who sent my husband such a tender, sentimental message, Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. Was her name Elizabeth? No. Name's Jessica, come to think of it. Jessica. Best secretary I ever had, too. Oh. Well, I gotta go, kid. You in a hurry, Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. I'm on my way to a chimney sweep. Chimney stopped up, kid? Yeah. Full of soot, is it? No. It's full of my cousin, Big Bay Window Wilcox. <laughs> Rehearsing his Santa Claus act for Christmas and got stuck in the flu. <laughs> well, he may not be a very good Santa Claus, Junie, but if he gets out of that chimney, he'll be well suited for the part. <laughs> Don't you get it, both of you? Suited? Okay, suited. <laughs> See, I constructed a pun involving the two meanings of the word suit. Ain't funny, McGee. Taint? No, taint. So long now. <laughs> Smart guy. You don't seem to realize that when a mature man like me, a man of the world, a man of charm and experience, can throw some woman for a loop so that she loses her head and sits down and writes him a love note for Christmas, I, I mean, she doesn't think that Wilcox doesn't. What did I start out to say? I'm sure I don't know, pet, but I've got to go out and get dinner started. Let me know now if you remember who Elizabeth is. Okay, but you just keep your chin up, Tootsie. Don't you worry about a thing. Me? Of course I won't, dearie. My <laughs> goodness, after all these years, what woman would want to... Uh, that is, I mean, well... You're no boy anymore, you know. Huh? I mean to say I love you dearly, you know that, but who else would ever... I mean... <laughs> Come in, please. <laughs> Hello, Dr. 
Dr. Gamble, my, it's nice to see you. Hello, my dear, and good day to you, pudding head. <laughs> Hi, Bellbottom. <laughs> you out spreading Christmas cheer this week by staying away from your patients? No, I'm out taking measurements for splints, my boy. Huh? Do you plan to use a stepladder to decorate your Christmas tree again this year? Or shall I cross your name off my list? <laughs> cross him off, Doctor. At the price they're asking per foot for Christmas trees this year, we'll be able to decorate ours from a kneeling position. Yes, say, Doc, uh, you happen to know anybody named Elizabeth? Certainly, my mother. <laughs> Himself got a, a Christmas card signed, Love, Elizabeth. No, no, that wouldn't be her, Molly. She hates him. <laughs> Your mother doesn't even know me. I've described you to her. <laughs> How could she hate me just from that? My gosh, you gotta know me for years to really hate me. <laughs> really, I'm a little disturbed, Doc. Some girl sends me a Christmas card with love and I don't know who it is, so naturally I'm worried. Why? Why? Yeah. Why, my gosh, suppose some girl has saw me someplace and got a crush on me. You know how girls do, Doc. Probably just doesn't realize I'm married. Maybe just saw this sort of distinguished looking man around town and bingo, off the deep end. I know just how you feel, my boy. Your distress is perfectly natural. What do you mean, distress? He's never been prouder in his life. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say I was proud exactly, my dear, but after all, one can't help it if one has the type personality that sets women on their ears. My gosh, I remember the time when I was kind of shy and bumblefooted, and no woman would look at me the second time. I remember that time, too. It was about two minutes ago. <laughs> But look, Casanova, if you're really worried that some girl has fallen in love with you, I have something here that might reassure you. Here, take it. What is it, Doctor? Hmm? A pocket mirror. Read it and weep, Romeo. Merry Christmas, children. Oh. The King's Men sing Ken Darby's composition, Let's Have an Old Fashioned Christmas. Let's have an old-fashioned Christmas With snowflakes and memories of yesterday Let's sing a few dear old carols we knew Riding home in an old-fashioned sleigh See the happy faces of children while jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle in their hearts so merrily. So here's to a bright, merry Christmas with all of the old-fashioned love we knew. As long as you live, may the years always give an old-fashioned Christmas.
Doggone it, kiddo, this thing has got me waffled. Or baffled. <laughs> Perfectly strange woman writing me mash notes when... Hey, what's the dangerous age in a man, Molly? The dangerous age? Yeah. That's the period of time between when his pants get long and his wind gets short. <laughs> now, I suppose around my age, a man does take on a kind of a sophisticated glamour for women. Kind of a man about town look that they just can't resist. Oh, I just hadn't realized till now that I'd reached that age. Well, you know, there is something different about you lately, dearie. Yeah? I look at you sometimes and I get an almost uncontrollable desire to run my hand through your hair. <laughs> you do? Yes, with a pair of clippers. <laughs> How long since you've been to the barbershop? Oh, not so long. And besides, this shaggy look must have uh, had a certain appeal for women because whoever this Elizabeth is, she's so... Come in. Hi there, kids. Hello, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Oh, Mr. Old Timer. <laughs> hi, hi, Old Timer. Hey, we got a little mystery on our hands here. Is that so? Yep. What happened, kids? Find footprints in the snow or somebody walking across your roof on his hands? No, Mr. Old Timer. Himself here just got a Christmas card from some mysterious woman. What do you mean, mysterious woman? What other kind is there? <laughs> she means we don't know who this card is from, Old Timer. It's signed with love, Elizabeth. <laughs> Well, it's nothing to get excited about, I guess. Happens every day. College girl crushes, you know. <laughs> I suppose Ronnie Coleman and Clark Gable run into this stuff all the time. I suppose so, Johnny. So does Roy Rogers' horse. <laughs> I read where some fan cut off a foot of Trigger's tail a couple of years ago, so you better be careful. But hey! <laughs> I, uh, I got an interesting Christmas card myself, kids. From a woman, Mr. Oldtimer? Yep, my landlady. On account of them, I'm a little behind in my rent. You're behind in your rent, so she sends you a Christmas card. She wish you a Merry Christmas? Didn't say, Johnny. Just a picture of Santa Claus on it, and underneath it, it says, Who do you think I am? Him? Well, at least you know who it's from. That's something. Oh, I suppose so. I gotta get back to work, kids. <laughs> I'm on extra at the post office this week, you know. Yeah? What doing? Smearing addresses or mislaying packages that gurgle? <laughs> I'm in the parcel post, Johnny. Oh? Here's my work order. See, daughter? Uh-huh. Yeah. It says proceed to parcel post department and see that all packages are weighed and stamped. What was that, daughter? She said see that all packages are weighed and stamped. Why? Stamped? Yeah. Oh, Jiminy, now I'm in for it. Why? I thought it said stomped. <laughs> uh, for three days, I've been having myself a wonderful time jumping up and down on the... Oh! <laughs> When you get that package from your Aunt Sarah, it was glassware, I think. <laughs> hey, I wonder if he could have traced this Christmas card through the post office and... Well, I doubt it, dearie, and frankly, I'm developing a terrific disinterest in the entire subject. Hmm? So while you practice that flashing smile and the lifted eyebrow, I'll go start dinner. Okay, Tootsie. Ah, oh, there goes a good kid, and steady as a rock. Strange woman writing mash notes to her husband, sending him her love, and what does she do? Scream? Pull hair? No, sir. She fixes dinner. <laughs> a little more flattering if she wasn't so dad-ratted calm about this thing because... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, 
high, sis. <laughs> what you doing, mister? What you doing? Watch it. I'm trying to think, Teeny. It seems that somebody... Gee, you got a lot of pretty Christmas cards, I betcha. Yeah, we sure did. But mm -hmm. one of them was... So did we. Good. Now be mm -hmm. quiet a minute, sis. I want to concentrate on a little problem. I here. think we had some awful pretty Christmas cards this year, mister. You did, eh? Yes, we all... Hmm? I says you did, eh? Did what? Had some awful pretty cards this year. Who did? You did. I know it. <laughs> My mama said to me yesterday, she said, bring me the Christmas card you bought for Mr. McGee and I'll address it for you, Elizabeth. Yeah, well, that... Uh, huh? <laughs> What'd she call you? Me? Yeah. Elizabeth. Oh... She always calls me Elizabeth on account of I'm named Elizabeth. Oh. But my daddy calls me teeny only Elizabeth. Oh, my, my gosh, you. <laughs> hey, Molly, here's Elizabeth. Don't go away, Elizabeth. Hey, Molly. Hey, Molly, come in and see who's Elizabeth. My gosh, you're all... I wonder whether you've tried Johnson's Glow Coat lately, because this self-polishing floor wax has a new glow, a glow that brightens up your kitchen linoleum, makes it glossier and more lustrous than before. Now, that wouldn't be quite so very special, of course, if you had to do a lot of rubbing and buffing to get that kind of finish on your linoleum. But you don't. Johnson's Glow Coat produces its own sparkling luster while it dries and without any help from you. Ask your dealer about this wonderful self-polishing floor wax. When he hands you the familiar yellow glow coat container with the bright red band, he'll be handing you the glow coat with the new glow. The glow coat that protects your linoleum, makes it easy to keep clean and very cheerful to look at. Ladies and gentlemen, for 14 years now, we've asked old Santa Claus for audiences like you. And for 14 years, he's granted our wish. And so thanks for all the wonderful Christmases you've given us. And on behalf of the Johnson Wax people and everyone on the program, we'd like to wish you the merriest Christmas ever. Here's to a bright, merry Christmas With all of the old-fashioned love we knew As long as you live This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. No chimes? I guess not. All right. Let's see if we can get this switch up. Jaws Professional, Bill Bragg, and Call Button. Alt-Tab, Skype, Trade Tab, Online Tab, Walden Tab, Search Edit, Act, Favorite, Martin and Clue, Patricia Application, Send, Invite to Enter, Leaving Menus, Contact, Unloading, Jump, Cancel. From Walden, OK, Cancel, OK, Enter, Patricia from FL. 
Hello there. Hello. Here's her song, everybody. Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling. Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Hello, Walden. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and to and everybody. everybody in our family. That's right. That is super. What? I, I'm, <laughs> wait, I'm waiting for a per, the pearls of wisdom from Patricia. <laughs> You're going to have a very long wait tonight. <laughs> can, can we just do with little pebbles instead uh-huh. of pearls? Well, how, okay. how, however you want to roll them out. You okay. have you have the bag. Okay, so we've got marbles tonight. We have marbles, yeah. Marbles be good. Uh-huh. Hello, everybody. Merry Christmas. You're stuck with me for an hour and a half tonight. Yay. That is terrific. I'm I'm just very happy. Yes. And you sound peppy. I am much better. Yes. 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 I am. You are peppy. I know. You've been I am eating peppy. your you've you've been eating your car off pep. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So I'm getting fired all over the place here, and that, that's good. That's good. That's um, one of the one of the physical therapists said, "You've got one more session next week. You're doing great." I said, "That's cool." Now we have to please the second one, and that's cool. 
You, you're going to do fine. I have faith. I am already. I mean, really, they are so pleased, and I am thrilled. So, Amen. We're doing Amen. good. We're doing Amen. good. Hmm? Amen. Amen. Yes. Yeah, you know. yes, yes, that too. Yes. That too. Yes. So what are you up to tonight? I Come love on. that. I love the, the um, show that you played. I know. That's why I picked it out. Yeah, I picked it out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so cute. Today's my dad's 85th birthday, so we must uh, show today. Oh, my it goodness. Today. And birthday to him, please. We will. He, he, we still have company. My his his baby sister's here. <laughs> with okay. With his with her husband. So uh-huh. they're wrapping up and said, "Walter, isn't Patricia gonna be?" Yes, yeah. Oh, I'm playing a favorite Mickey and Molly show. Okay, they were they were concerned. They didn't want me, uh, they didn't want take me away from you. I didn't know. Everybody is taking care of me. <laughs> I I'll just lie down and say. Could I have dinner now, please? <laughs> you could get away with it, my dear, if you wanted to. You know that. <laughs> I have, to, I have you, to find somebody to do it, though. You know, you have a, probably a bed in every in every state in the union. Everybody would take you uh, in. Yeah, I'm like George Washington. Uh-huh. If George Washington actually slept in every place that claims he slept <laughs> there, we never would have won the Revolutionary War. I think I saw one of those signs on my trip back on the East Coast. So I'm assuming uh-huh. there's more than one sign that says oh. that George Washington swept here. Oh, yes, indeed. There's a place. It, yeah, I, I hope it's the same place. It's mm-hmm. the 76th house, they called it, where Major Andre was hanged. Oh. And Yeah, I know. It really is a historic mm-hmm. site. <clears throat> and it was, of course, George Washington slept here. And it, it's quite likely that he did because it was a major place. And I guess it's in New York. It might be in Tapan. Okay, so I we should put that on the Patricia list of things to do this fall. When we, we need to, it's on my bucket list. We need to, to cover. Yeah, we need to cover the American, Revo- American Revolutionary War by calling places and have them come be with us. Okay. What? Oh, well, we could have them on assignment? the show. No, we could have them on the show sometime. Is that that's my assignment? Well, you can give it to me. We could just make I, make. I Make our list. Make our list. And, well, this is what we got to do. And checking it twice yeah. and all sorts of stuff like that. That's right. Now, I have not done particularly well with our hello, would you like to be on our show type thing. I realize I've been a little bit busy, but gee willikers, you know? Well, you know, you have more important stuff. That's why I'm taking care of it. Like, Chad found us a Christmas tree farm. Thank you, Chad. He talked to them. So I sent him an email. If I don't hear from him in a few days, I'll probably get a call. Because we want the Christmas tree people on with us. You know? Yeah. You know, so we, that would be great fun. Yeah. How do you grow Christmas trees? Seriously, the, the Christmas trees are handled so differently from any other tree in the whole wide world. Ones that are designated Christmas trees have special grooming techniques mm. and stuff like that there. Now, Dave, you promised to get us a Santa. So that's on Dave's uh, for oh, us. Oh, gosh. I talked to him about that. That's my job. I have to... Find, I have to go to Santa, Santa for the stars, I think, or Santa of the stars. I think Santa for the stars. And I can use Dave's name, and I have to arrange a Santa Claus. Okay, okay. Well, if not, I can do that for you. So whatever, just send me an email reminder. If one way or another, we can get it done this year. My schedule this week and last week and the upcoming week, Looks like a bowl of spaghetti. I've actually got a separate notebook. <laughs> okay, well, physical therapy is coming here and home health is coming here. So you have to. I really, it's it's just 
But anyway, I'm, we, I'm getting... We, we, we said that the next month was going to be a little chaotic. Yes, we did, yes, didn't we? Yes, yeah, we did. We won the family. <laughs> that... Nothing like fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> so We so, have fulfillment. But anyway, I'm yeah. doing better. Yes. And that is the important stuff. Correct. I truly am. You sound, you sound much better, my dear. Thank you. Thank and you. I'm planning to have you here for another 500 more years, so we're going to make this work. I'm not sure about the 500, maybe 450, but uh, 500 so, might be a stretch. All right, 400. We'll compromise. Okay. You know. All right, I'll suit for that. You know. I'll you know. suit for that. You know. Are we ready? Yes. You tell me when. When. All right, everybody. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. It's our phone number. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Remind you next weekend. If you were a fan of my three sons, we're gonna have two of the sons on the show next Friday and Sunday. Uh, Stanley Levinson will be on with us next Friday, and Barry, who is Ernie, next Sunday. So you can put that on your to-do list of. To the to. Livingston kids were just so key to that show. So that is our, our docket of people to talk to here on the network for the next couple of weeks. Very excellent. Hmm. Phone's not working? <gasps> yeah. They gave up on us. They yeah. thought we weren't here. Yeah, I did. Oh, faithful, faithful. Somebody faithful. found us. Oh, faithful, my goodness. Faithfulness. Hello, you are with Patricia. It's Santa to the stars. <laughs> oh, gee. I was right the first time. I, I, well, you know, I, I do all I can for you. You know, I teach you I and lose you. This Are is Dave in Rhode face? Island, um, who, who gave me the place to check for a Santa. <laughs> and not, not only did I blow it the first time by not doing it in time, and then we had this little break in between, and now I don't even know where I'm going. Oh, Dave. I gave you a Hello. direct line to the North Pole, a direct yeah. line to his desk phone, a phone on his desk, okay. which is shaped like a reindeer. Are you serious? And he's very oh. careful about answering it because he always sticks himself on the antler when he grieves for it. Oh. Serious. So did you ever have to go to Santa school, Dave? I mean, you or did what you were just... I did not. No, I did not. So you were not a certified Santa? I, oh, I believe certified. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you get peed on, you're certified. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like being baptized. Huh? <laughs> you're invisible, Inc. A new phrase of holy water means something else. Oh, my gosh. Right. You have been anointed. Sure. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So how are you up there? What kind of weather well, are you doing, having? We're Has doing great. I'm actually, wait, I'm up. Oh, well, I listen to you guys anyway, but I'm um, staying up. My, my wife will be home in maybe about an hour. She's getting back mm-hmm. from Colorado tonight. Uh, she's been away for a week. They don't have a shutdown time when people land at the airport in your neck of the woods? And they do here. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can... It's a big city. Well, well, see, where I live, yeah. next, the city next to us is so wealthy, they dictate terms. They tell the airplane they have to fly over the ocean. They can't fly over the city. 
and they have restrictions when, when they show up and when they have to leave. So I I thought maybe we that was pretty standard operation, but I guess not. No, 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 no. You see, Patricia, he doesn't know, you know. But his, his town is so, so small that they can't afford a village idiot, so they all take turns. Gee, well, well, in that case, I won't tell you that we have the same system here. Oh, do you? Yes, we um, do. No, the, no, this is Bostonia, yes, baby, and they... They uh, come flying right in, so they'll be home shortly. And um, so you've been batching it. I'm exciting it about. Now, are you, have you been doing your own cooking the whole week? I've done everything by myself. I, you know, I, I did good. I wore a bib, like I was told, but I didn't get anything on me. I did very well. I did very well, but I don't like being bachelor. I, I don't like it. What's the biggest thing you don't like about it? Um, hearing yeah. my, hearing my wife call me, mm-hmm. when, when when she calls me, you know, honey, this this, this. I, I mean that that's nice. When there's nobody calling you in the house, ah, uh, you miss her voice around the house. Uh, yeah, well, that lets me know that she's around. You know, lets me know. The only call I get now is from creditors. So listen, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to let you go, but it was Santa to the stars. Thank and you. I, will I think I would have found it. I would have put Santa and stars in there. I really would yeah. have. Yeah, you, you are. are I are smart. <laughs> yeah. His name, by the way, is Brady White. So you can also do it that way. Okay. Brady White, you said? White. You know, when I hear, when I listen to you on your phone, you break up a little bit, so. I'm sorry. Brady White, his name is. Brady White. Okay. So I'm sure that's how come I got for the stars as opposed to to the stars. I'm positive. You want to blame me now? It was your phone. Of course. Of course. course. Well, let's call him before he goes to Italy. Hmm. I'm an opportunist. I'll blame anybody. Okay. (laughs) I'll catch you guys later. All right, Dave. Have a safe pickup. Bye-bye. 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 All right. So Dave will be off to the airport. 714-545-2080. 714-545-2071. Now, I thought most cities shut down from 1 to 7, but I guess not. Oh, no, no. We we don't shut down, but there have been brouhaha's around here. The oldest one, gosh, I don't, I don't know when it took place. It might mm-hmm. have been the late 1980s. There was a community, one of these upscale, upscale communities. Yep that started developing, and they had many residents in there, and they were about four miles from the major airport. I mean, biggie, biggie. And then they went to court and tried to sue the airlines because they were flying planes over their houses. Well, excuse me, guys, the the planes were there before you were, but they succeeded, so they redirected many of the routes, and gosh, it it was wild there for a while. Uh, Oh, no, Newport, Newport Beach has so much pull in this area. That's John Wayne country people who they, mm-hmm. they, they, they dictate all terms. So all the airplanes have to fly over the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. They have to shuttle down when they land or take off. Mm-hmm. And they can't fly during certain times of the day. Mm-hmm. So I guess when yeah, you have... We, m- we grew up beyond that. 714 our number. We're here. We're live. It's a Saturday night, July the 16th, year 2000.
2000 and said, King. Well, I've graduated from 1999. I mentioned to you that <clears throat> I periodically try to write 1999 on a check. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There must have been something very good or very bad. And since I haven't had anything very bad in my life for a very long time, I think that 1999 probably had something exceptional, and it was on the good side because I keep trying to <laughs> resurrect it. But now I'm down. I'm all the way up to 2001. You're skipping every I'm two years. I'm trying to write 2001. I guess. Uh, I guess maybe something really good happened in 2001. You think? You think people? It must have. You something think, really good happens. You think people have favorite times of their life, or favorite years, or whatever? I think so. I think that there are years and times that are warmly memorable. Uh huh. They they remember them for good reasons. And, yeah, I think most people have more than one. Yeah, I, I do. and I imagine some people maybe look at their high school era or whatever at their favorite time, you know, per se. Uh, I, I guess. Don't ask me I don't about know. that. <laughs> Hello ask there. me about one of my... Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Yes, this is John in Maryland. Hi, John. <gasps> Hi. Hey. And I haven't hey. seen you for a while. <laughs> Good to hear your voice. I did talk to you though. Didn't I, I know, but you were in a lot of pain last yes. Saturday. Yeah, you were. Was. You were yeah. having a not good night. Yeah. John, what was your favorite light? Your favorite year? You have a favorite year or a favorite period of your life? Favorite year? Mm-hmm. Probably nineteen fifty fifty-seven. And why? Why would that a good year that married. year? It better be the year he got married. <laughs> That's the year I got married. All right. You predicted <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. He he <laughs> just knows the gentlemanly things to say. <laughs> that was very good, John. Next year will be 60 years. 60 years. Wow. You know, if, if Paul Harvey was around, you could have seen that in. And he, you, you, could, you guys could have gotten... Uh, you could have gotten mentioned on his radio show. Yeah, right. <laughs> I used to be able to call Renfro Valley, but uh, USA doesn't have it on anymore. We do. We're running. We're running. Um, I get we're running the old stuff now. I thought we were going to take it off, but we're running the really old stuff because I guess they're not making any new shows, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have Oh, I didn't oh. know that. I knew that they were going through some changes. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. You know, Jim Gaskin. Yeah. Jim Gaskin was the pivotal person there. I don't know if he began the broadcast, whatever. No. But he was the over. one yeah. who had these wonderful pieces of, they, they were just motivational. They mm -hmm. were poignant. They, they were so wonderful to listen to. And then. He was not with us any longer. He passed away, yeah. And the people who took over did a wonderful job, but it just wasn't Jim Gaskin. No. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me that they're... No, but they that's, that's why Bill decided to go ahead and still run the best of. I'm I so we, glad. I, but I, bet, I wish we dipped more into the Jim Gaskin field if we're going to do the best of, because mm -hmm. Jim had a certain style about him. He did. He did. And it, it just it, it felt like he reached out and touched everyone. That's a very rare quality. So, John, what have you been up to this week? Well, not not too much. I haven't felt very well, so 
I didn't do too much. But uh, I'll be up tomorrow and go to church. And Good. Now, last church, I, they had a healing service, and uh, one of the elders came over and, and knelt down and prayed with me, so... Oh, that's good. Which was very nice. And uh, my my daughter had her office people over here today for a picnic. Mm -hmm. I stayed out for a while, and I came back in, but my leg was hurting too bad. Mm. How was her trip? How was her trip up north? I remember you when you took her to the airport. When was it? Four or five months ago, she had to spend two or three weeks up there with it. Oh, and it was snowing. Yes. Uh oh, did we lose you? Are we here? Yeah, I'm here. Did Did your daughter enjoy her trip up north? Was it New Jersey or whatever she had? Oh been? yeah, yeah, yeah. She was up there. She spent about uh, three weeks there. That's a long time. It, it paid her very well for that, and then even at that, hotels get old. <laughs> yeah, they do. But a uh, a friend of hers lived near there and, and stopped over, and they. They made a trip up from to New York and went to a show. Mm-hmm. But that that was about it. The rest of the time was at the hotel, happy yeah. hour, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember I did that years and years ago. Up mm -hmm. in company business and stay in a hotel. I knew a lady who wound up owning Hollywood Park Race Track, and so and she... Her dad owned the St. Louis football team, and they owned the Chicago racetrack. Anyway, she decided to move to Homeby Hills, you know, which is right next to Beverly Hills. And she wanted to remodel the house. So she decided to stay at the Bel Air Hotel, which was a few dollars a day, you know. I mean, you're talking anything with Bel Air, Beverly Hills, anything <laughs> like that, you know. You two After wanted a week. You, After a week, you figured out you could have bought the place. So, my question to both to you, how long do you think she stayed at the hotel waiting for the remodel to get done at the house? Oh, I'd say maybe a year. More. <laughs> Two years. <In> More. <laughs> six did years. she ever move out? Yes, she did. More than six she years. Okay. More than six years. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. At that point... Bulldozer at the front door of the house is probably the best choice. Dear me. She stayed at the hotel waiting for the remodel for 18 years. Oh, my goodness. You cannot be serious. No. No. You cannot be no. serious. Was she periodically evaluated by the medical community? No, she had money. Obviously. <laughs> Either that or she scrubbed an awful lot of floors very quickly. Eighteen years. Wow. You know what? Wow. <laughs> when I'm my son was sick down in Houston, I stayed in the, the hotel dining room for a month. Oh my gosh, John, that might that must have cost a few dollars, huh? Yeah, it was a uh, hundred and some dollars a day, and that's seven days a week. Wow. And, and, but they gave me a special rate. Ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was more than it would have been more than that. It was best western. It would have been more than that. But uh, well, gave me a special rate because <clears throat> they lived there, proximity to the to the hospital is so short that they run a shuttle bus. Mm. 
and there's a lot of people down here with different kind of situations. And, but uh, you get kind of a little tired of it. They have a breakfast for you every day, but I got tired of it because it started to be... Yeah, and it gets old pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I remember um, there was a famous basketball coach, and I forgot his name. He used to coach Utah, the college, that, uh, the University of Utah basketball. That's where he decided to live, it was at the hotel. That way he said, I didn't have to make his own bed. He figured, you know. What? <laughs> Only an S-word guy would do that. Can you imagine... You take one corner of the sheet and pull, and you take the other corner of the sheet and pull, and don't worry about it because you're going to get back in it in a few hours anyway. You know, there's some horror stories about uh, people living in these uh, nursing homes and people who are elderly. Yep. And we know of one case where the poor man was in a room, no windows, and he was in a bed pushed up against a wall. Oh. And he felt falling out of bed a couple times. And they don't even have a chair there for a guest. So, but anyway, and the, the cost of it is $8,000 a month. Well, might I mention, that's not unusual. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I know. It, it's yeah. scary, yeah. but... That's the way it is. It's true. You know, just bare bones basics. You're talking six or seven thousand easily, and you get into some of the urbanized areas and and the cities. You could could go to a hotel and uh, Holiday Inn Mm -hmm. or whatever you want. They make your bed every day. Mm Mm-hmm. They have. Yep. And all you have to do is fall down and break your leg. You've got it. You've got it for life. You promise not to sue. You've got whatever you want for life. Yeah. See, I got the system all worked out here. But eight thousand dollars a month, you know, it's a lot of money for them to mistreat you. But anyway, that's not a thing. Good thing to talk about. I I, I think it's pretty cool. I I remembered. uh, Celeste from Texas called the other yes. other yes. and she talked about seeing Fritz there and uh, Eleanor, Eleanor uh, Powell yes. um, dancing begin to begin. Yes. I don't know how many times I've watched that. But uh, what she should do is go to YouTube again and click on uh, 42nd Street. Uh, Dick Powell. And she'll hear a different Dick Powell. Before <laughs> cigarettes took charge of his lungs. Yeah, was Dick Powell of the 30s. There's no doubt about that. Oh, he was wonderful. I, I listen to that every once in a while. I'll click on and listen and watch 42nd Street. Was Ruby, I like the music in that. Was Ruby Keeler in that? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, Ruby Keeler was in that. Al Jolson's wife. We can't mention Alex Olsen to Patricia. She, 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 well, look, she looks at the how, sky. That's how she became a I like this. She, 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 what? Now, that's how she, yeah, she does. a big star at Warner Brothers because he made the first talking movie at Warner Brothers and he had a little drag there. And uh, 
that's how I think that's how she got in all those musicals. She she was in about five or six of them. Do you have a favorite musical of all time? See, my favorite musical of all time would probably be the the sound of the sound of music. Ah. Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yeah. That's probably my best of all time. And I liked Oklahoma. And I uh I got him a chance to meet Celeste Holm who was in Oklahoma on Broadway yeah. and he did a one hour story how in the world she got into the show. And it's, it's a great audio memory, you know, of how Oklahoma built. And that was a popular musical of nineteen forty three. No doubt about yeah. that. Yep. And, and that show that uh, John and Larry played the other night, uh, your hit parade, uh-huh. I think number three was People Will Say We're In Love, I think it was. That was a big song. Yeah. Paul Paul from California called last night, and maybe also, Larry and I couldn't figure this out. We talked about it. Maybe also to Patricia and John and all the listeners. He remembers hearing one of Jody's girlfriend saying, I'm in the mood for love. And he thinks it's either the school principal or the school teacher. And I I don't remember it. So anybody out there, if you can think of any time one of Gildersleeve's girlfriend saying. Was it on the Gildersleeve show? Yes. People will say we're in huh. love. No, I'm in the mood for love. Well, I'm in the mood for love. Yeah. I don't recall anything like well, that. Do you remember about what era or or around the years that would have been popular? Well, that was definitely a. I think originally the song came out in the twenties. I I, oh. I I think it go back, but it was such a favorite. I would, John, would you you would call it a standard, so it could easily show up in the thirties, forties, and fifties. Yeah, but uh. I haven't had a look. I did look at the Yesterday USA website to see if we could look at if, if there were a grocery show and that there was a date, and that might give us a clue. But mm. but anybody well, out there you can think of one of those? I've got something up here from Claire Schultz. Let me see here. Gildersleeve, Gildersleeve, Charlie in the mood. Um, all right, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I know occasionally Gildersleeve will have guest stars who would pretend to be, you know, a female guest star on a show. He would have K-Star on, and he would have a folk singer this time when there was a circus, and they would sing. But mm-hmm. I don't remember them ever singing that particular song. So uh, it, it was a stumper. Well, it looks like that is John Elliott and Andy White. Who, who is Irene? Irene was Janet Waldo. She was the little, she was the little Leroy p- teacher who taught piano. Right. Yeah, okay. Okay. It says here that Irene sang "I'm in the Mood for Love." Okay, that's it. All right, Paul. So the Janet, that's Janet Waldo. How about that? Well, well, if well, everybody maybe is really not. nice to no. me, <laughs> <laughs> and you give me a break after 
I just got back into my seat and my legs are up on the desk and I'm not going to move right now. But I will go to Claire Schultz's Gildersleeve book and see if I can find ah, that, that episode. That, that's a good one. Yeah. That wasn't somebody else singing it for her, though, was it? Well, you know, on radio you couldn't tell. Well, that's true, but generally, generally on the Gildersleeve show, they would have them, the actual people sing. Okay, Louise Erickson, who played Marjorie, had a story, and she couldn't sing. But she said, I never figured out. They had me sing on the grocery show, It Might As Well Be Spring. And, well, and I I was able to track the date for her for for that. Uh, give the yarn five. That'd be 1945. Yeah, well, the show she did was January 6th of 46. Yeah. And that was a famous that was State Fair, and Dick Haynes had the uh, Haynes had the big song on records. It might as well be spring. Well, Jeannie Crane didn't sing it; she mouthed it in that movie. Ah. she she did not sing it in there. There was a famous sing- there was a famous singer who is still around. Everybody, her name is Marnie Nixon, and she is one in the fifties. Almost every musical you saw on TV for a lot of certain stars, all the stars would mouth the words that she'd be the one singing. And she's made a whole career of being the one that would be the, the voice behind the movie star in some of these I musicals. remember that. You had you talked about that before. Uh-huh. And I have I have her number, and I've been occasionally been trying to get her on the show to talk about she that. Had a, she had a very nice voice. Yeah, Correct. you talked about that before. Correct. And... We had neighbors who actually did that too. So I guess, it, it's, especially in the movies, that was a common. And also, John, you're right. The Chicago Radio Theater of the Air. That was the um, on Saturday afternoon. That was sort of uh, Colonel McCormick, who was the owner of the, of the Tribune newspaper, and he also, I think, owned WGN. Loved to put on long addresses during halftime of, of the Chicago Radio Theater year. And he built the theater for Claire, I forget her first name, who was a tenor. She was an operetta soprano. And there would be, it'd be like mini operas done every Saturday afternoon. But in that particular show, they had this all the singers sang, and they had regular radio actors do all the voices, mm. the speaking parts in that show. So it, it did happen that way. Yeah, I remember the, the movie The Great Siegfeld mm-hmm. with William Powell, and uh, uh, it, the, the climax at the end of the movie, they had A, 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 a Pretty Girls Like a Melody. Oh, yeah. And they had Dennis Morgan... Of course, he was a contract player for Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. But I knew he, I knew he could sing. But then I was all over the years. I didn't know that he was mouthing it. I didn't know that. And it was uh, Alan Jones that was doing the singing. Ah. And that really disappointed me. <laughs> you remember what Alan Jones' big song was in the thirties? Yeah, um, "Bulky Serenade." <laughs> Very good. Of course, but, uh, his son is Jack Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I guessed it last night, though, didn't I? <laughs> you did. 
Patricia, we played a name of the tune. We played a name of the tune. Uh, we had the famous song Johnny Mercer, and I asked the people to guess who it was. And John figured it out it was Howard Duff and Ida Lapino doing One for My Baby. Yeah, one more for the road. Wow. <laughs> We're going to have to put him in a dog and pony cart. Take him with us. Well, John, you are a remarkable person, and I'm glad you're here this week, and I get to say hi to you two weeks in a row. Yeah. Yeah, I sent you a cartoon the other day on email. I thought it would cheer you up. It did, and I sent you back and said, this is wonderful. It made me laugh. <laughs> it was a goodie. That's why I sent it. I thought it would cheer you up a little bit. Yep, and it did. Thank you. That's one thing about what Patricia's many talent. She loved the laugh. She was one of her favorite. <laughs> yes, favorite I do that. I, I do that, yes. Yes, 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 yes. They were taking bets on me in the hospital. Whoever could wake me up and not and get a smile. <laughs> they all went back and said, I won again, I won again. <laughs> so I guess I smiled enough for people. So, Well, John, thank you so much for calling. You have yourself a better week this week, please, and I hope church is good for you tomorrow. I hope so, too. All okay. Right. All right, John. When, and I'll hear you tomorrow night when you when we have Ed Coot on. Yeah. So, I'll think of something to call you. Yeah, think of something to call. Okay. All right, you John. You have a nice evening. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. It's always a Well, then I have talk. something extra to stick in here. I found a better explanation. Uh, this is the January 6, 1954 episode uh-huh. that is titled, Irene's Father Pushes for a Wedding. So Irene was one of his girlfriends. Um, Irene Henshaw? Yes, I remember that. And okay. it, it says, Gildersleeve suspects that the father of his girlfriend, Irene Henshaw, has a shotgun. Wedding in mind. One of the people who played. Which one was she? Eve? Which 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 of Gildy's girlfriends did Kathy play? Uh, she was the nurse Kathy uh Kathy Milford. Okay. Kathy Milford. Okay. So yes, Paul, you are absolutely on target there. Wow. Good job, Paul. Seven one four five four five two oh seven one. Patricia will be here until uh twelve thirty and then she has an inter- interview to introduce. From, That's right. From, from Patricia's archives. <laughs> we do have a rich archive, don't we? We do. We do have a wonderful archive. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We could take a couple of months off and not run out of stuff to read, Ron. We could easily, as much stuff you and I do in the air, we could tell the red and blue necklace to take off and there's still, nobody would hear anything, anything for 24 hours a day for a whole year. A whole year? I would think so. I'll meet, you, I'll meet you in St. Louis while we make our, our rounds. Uh, 714. We haven't talked about our magical trip late. No. Uh-oh. You still there? I'm here. Okay, okay. I heard a little beep-beep. So no, that was me. You were, you, were, you, were, you, were, you were doing sound effects. Okay, yeah. good, good. Now can, good. now, can you be a horse? Give me a horse. Oh, how about, how about... <laughs> no, I do Winnie better than... 
Very no, good. I, you, yeah. do a, you do a good horse. Okay. You, okay. you can be the horsey. Okay. I still can't wait until you do your bull, your bull moves, your bull alligator yell one night. That would be. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to go in the bathroom and close the door. <laughs> Sound travels in this building. It's pretty old. Hello, call your I'm Patricia. Hey, uh, John Harden from. Hi, John. What's happening? What the fun, John? Is this my John? Yeah, it's your John. It's my John. How are you? It's so good to hear from you. We were both in the hospital in separate rooms. Maybe at the same hospital. In separate hospitals. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll, stop, 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 stop. Time out. Can you turn John up a little bit for I me? Can? I'm having trouble hearing him. I can You're do fine, that. but John is a little bit low. Hold oh. on, John. Don't go away. <laughs> Okay, go ahead, John. But to Walden, yeah. uh, you begin the program, uh, and I only turn on Saturday evenings, but you begin the program with a prayer, and I want to uh, say thank you. Oh, you're welcome, John. Uh, there's so many uh, places where you're not even allowed to do it, and I'm surprised that they haven't come down on you yet. Well, Bill Bragg have always encouraged that, and so you have to thank Bill Bragg, uh for encouraging if people feel like it, he have always encouraged that. And I hear people talking how they, they suffer and everything and I've always said and I've heard years later, have faith. You think that you're really being taken down, but if you have faith the Lord sees you through it one way or another. Yeah, true. I mean we all go through trials and tribulations and you know, we have our family, our friend, our faith. And with all those three elements, most important is faith. But, you know, we all go through everything. And uh, so... It, it, it's nice to hear Patricia's voice again. Say hi, Patricia. Hi, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John, it's so good to hear from you, John. You've been kind of down and out for a while. Yeah, a couple weeks there. And wow. Anyhow, and, uh, and you know, uh, it, it's funny how... As you get older, I'm 80, I'll be 88 in a couple months, and uh, you just can't remember things like you used to. And you talk about these old radio shows, and and, and uh, I can remember the show, but uh, I can't remember the people in them, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that's good, because when you hear it again, it's, it's all brand new. Yes, isn't that the truth? <laughs> and uh, I know I'm... Uh, uh, oh, I, and I wanted to say yeah, I, I have a really I have a really good deal going here because I didn't know them to begin with, so I can just sit here and say, "Oh, that's not one I've heard yet," <laughs> or "That's one I've not heard yet," and I can get away with it. I don't have to remember. I want to ask cool. you uh, mm-hmm. on my computer here about every mm-hmm. fifteen minutes you shut down and I have to open the 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 pro the station again. Uh, yesterday, USA, I have to open it up again. Do you know what browser or you know anything what you're using, John? No. Well, then it happens to me, too. Oh, does it? No, I, I don't know anything. No, I, I think it's on the station end. Okay. Huh. But somebody it, else somebody mentioned that a while back, maybe two months ago or so. Oh, I haven't been around that long. Three months, maybe, who said the same thing was happening. So... I don't know if it's a, a station thing or we just get interrupted. I don't know. 
So underscore Bell, if you're listening to us, if you can send Patricia an email mm-hmm. with an idea, I, I, I shouldn't happen. Um, no, it shouldn't. It should, so I'm wondering if it, if, if it might be due to the player. Um, that'd be the only thing I can I don't know. It's not buffering. Yeah, it's not a buffering problem. It actually shuts down. It, it just shuts off, and then we have to do it all over again. Yeah, that's life. <laughs> so you're, you're not alone, John. Everything we shall overcome. Down, doesn't it? Well, it used to be years ago, uh, Light 65, and I know most people knew this, had a shut-off clock after eight hours. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm thinking somebody, I wonder if you can adjust, I'm wondering, I don't know, maybe underscore Bill or somebody who's really techie in here, is there a way you can adjust that? And maybe everybody has an individual built-in clock thing. I don't know. Just... I don't know. It's, it's really peculiar because John just said he'll be in there about 15 minutes and he has to redo it because it just shuts us off. The times it happens to me, it's mm-hmm. a 15-minute deal. But then I go for blocks of time where I can listen for half an hour or 45 minutes and no problem. Yeah, and, but for me, it's sure. kind of random. Yeah, kind this of is the only one that shuts down. That's upset if I say that. I'll open YouTube and play it for maybe half an hour or an uh-huh. hour, you know, and so it must be something that... Well, I'm wondering, I'm wondering it's a capacity issue. So. Hmm. Some stations used to put a restriction how many people are listening at one time. Well, I, it could be. I don't know. I mean, underscore Bill, if you're listening, could you come up with a theory and drop Patricia a note? That's what we'll... We'll, we'll work on that. We'll make it the project of the day. Okay. Listen, I'll, I'll let you go here so you can talk with some of the others. All right, John. Well, I'm glad you're home. Okay, well, so am I. <laughs> I bet you are. I told Pat it was... Okay, you could pop me a note and let me know how you're doing for real, okay? Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, John. It was so good to hear from him. 714 2071. She likes to drop Patricia an email throughout the week. Her her mailbox is open 24 hours a day, seven That's days true. a week. That's true. And, and you never know when I'm going to read. And Florida Writer at hotmail.com. F L O R I D A W R I T E R. At that little thing, you know. Mm-hmm. H- a little squiggle. H-O-T-M-A-I-L dot, you know what that is, that, that little thing down there. <laughs> C-O-M. FloridaWriter at Hotmail.com. Drop her a note anytime. Seven days anytime. a week. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You just don't know when she'll look at it. And, and forgive me when I fall a little bit behind on replies, but I get there. I truly, 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 truly get there. That's right. Mm-hmm. 714-545-2071. Yeah. Sharon is one of our listeners who spends winters here in Florida, not terribly far from me, and she and her husband are back up in New York, and I need to say hi back because she sent me a lovely email a week or so ago. So... Hello, Sharon, in the meantime, and thank you for remembering me. Ah. That's so nice. People remember me. Golly. 
You're special. Makes me feel good. You're special. I feel special for sure. You are special. Uh, I'm not going home tonight. Well, I'm going to put you to bed anyway. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) This this whole thing has shaken up my sleep routine. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen 4 o'clock in the morning since I don't know when. I saw it the other night because I fell asleep at 10 anyway and woke up at 4. I have been falling asleep, absolutely crashing at 10 o'clock at night. Well, considering they got you up at 8.30 this week on Monday morning, I'm not surprised, my dear. Monday morning, they did. No, that was my appointment time. That's what I mean. I had to leave here at 8. That's I mean, what this I mean. Is, this is just dreadful. Just dreadful. Hello, Carl. I'm, You're on with the, the gal who doesn't know what time of the day she sleeps. The queen of the clock. Patricia, this is Ray out of Chicago. Oh, my God. Ray in Chicago. How in the world are you? By golly, it is so good to hear from you. Yeah. Well, you know, Patricia, I'm always trying to stay in touch with you. And Even you do a fine I, job, uh, sir. I don't call in that often, but... Uh, no, listen. and we miss you. Um, but I should tell you, I have that same problem... And I've had it for the last several weeks where you'll cut off after five minutes. Ah, okay. I get so 15. I have, Some people I get 10. Go out and come back in. So it sounds like a station. There's something wrong with the, uh, the streaming service or something. Mm-hmm. There. That's what it kind of sounds like. It sure sounds like it. But, you know, mm-hmm. I'm in the, <laughs> I do it. I thought it was perhaps me on my end in some way, but. When that gentleman just called, I figure I'd let you know as well. But I'm, I'm down glad to five minutes, and then I lose you. But it may stay up ten minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. Now, this has been happening, let's say, the last three weeks. It's okay, so there's something wrong in the streams or something. Um... Yeah, well, in any event, uh, it's it's a delight to hear you, Patricia. Thank you. You know, you sound vibrant and just as you always are, so... Yeah, she got her bushy tail working tonight. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> My little buck teeth. Now, um, Patricia, how late are you going to stay with us tonight? Uh, I'll be here for oh, a little more than a half an hour. I'll, I'll be gone at about 12.30 Eastern time. Okay. So I'm, I'm feeding me in increments on Saturday night. Pretty soon you'll have me for the whole night, and you'll wonder... Why you wanted me back? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, if Patricia ever said, "Walden, I want to go straight daytime," I would figure a way how we could do that. So, you know, she, are you serious? No, I, no. Would. I would. I would. Not and leave our family. No, Not and I could drag family. them all with us. You know. Yeah, we could we could do that. Yeah. Ray, you crashed your car, or somebody crashed it for you. Uh-oh. How are you doing? Um. Well, as a matter of fact, it happened last Thursday, and uh, my car was totaled. I was stopped at a, a stoplight, and apparently the guy was texting or doing whatever you do, and the police fi- figure he barreled into me at about 35 to 40 miles an hour. That's a and big crash. Did he hit you from yeah. behind? What did he hit you, Ray? Well, he hit me in the back. And I hit the guy in front of me, so I was at Cordia and I. Right. And, um, you know, fortunately, I mean, I've been doing this for years. I had my seatbelt on, and, yeah. you know, I'm at the gym 
three, four times a week. I'm playing golf three, four times a week, so I'm I'm in decent shape. And um, the doctor said, if not for that, I might have been seriously hurt. But uh, Patricia, I, you might recall that seven, eight years ago or so, I had a subdural hematoma. I remember that. Yeah, so I was a little fearful of that. I mean, it, it's a blood, uh, a, a bleed in the brain, you know, mm-hmm. like a super concussion, I guess. And uh, that was the only thing I was worried about. So I had a, a brain scan, MRI, mm-hmm. and that worked out okay. So, you know, I'm alive and well and playing golf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we are so glad for that. Yeah. Yeah, you, oh you kind of shook me up when you said, because, boy, you get hit in the rear end from somebody who isn't watching. It's not like they tried to slow down and tap your bumper. This was a humdinger of a crash. Yeah. The, so uh, I was very happy to hear that you were okay. There wasn't any skid marks in the street. Oh, jeez. So he, he was obviously distracted. and um, Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, uh, you know, I, I have a rental now. I'll be buying a new car shortly and, uh, you know, and move on. I mean, what that's kind of the only car thing. are you getting? What did that gentleman talk about earlier about having faith? Faith, yes. Having faith is a, so important. Oh. Yep. So, uh, fortunately, everything worked out for me. So, what kind of and, car do you think you want to buy? Ray, any ideas or are you still trying to figure that out? Well, you know, I'm 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 very much a traditional person. I guess most people who listen to this station are. <laughs> uh, you know, I I like um, I, I like um, I'm not a car person. Uh-huh. So if I get a car that I like, I'll just keep buying it, and just switching colors. And um, <laughs> this car so, works. So you're gonna buy? Both. So are you gonna buy a Model A or Model T? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny, we have, um, I'm in Wisconsin now, I have a little summer cottage I run up to from uh, Illinois on the weekends, and they have a, they have an old uh, car show at a local restaurant every uh, Friday, and I was looking at a Model T yesterday. <laughs> it's oh funny my you gosh. That. Was it restored? Yeah, Beautiful. A lot of those guys are real, you know, uh, artists uh, with these cars. You know, I met one fellow who had 18 of those old-time cars. I mean, it was uh, just unbelievable. Uh, I don't know if you guys know it. Jay Leno is a car nut. Yep. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, yes, that guy has 22 acres of cars. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but they're all garaged. They're all covered. They're all restored. Oh, wow. Yeah, you are right on top of it, Ray. Wow. My dad, uh, my dad during the Great Depression, remembered you could buy a multi secondhand for $5. Yeah. You're kidding. No. no. Well, I understand that. We're, we're talking about Okies and yep. people... People travel, and that is that is not a derogatory term. That that is because they were from Oklahoma and they moved west. They were called Okies mm-hmm. from Oklahoma. Um, but the, my so my, yeah, my people, dad people needed from, dollars quickly to feed their kids. Yeah, my dad was in Nebraska, of course, but he just remembers in the Great Depression who had five dollars anyway. You know, but that people were mm-hmm. trying to sell exactly. secondhand. 
Yep. Wow. So you found somebody with five dollars, and you weren't going to let that go, and neither was the guy. So, um, Ray, have you ever seen any of Jay Leno's cars? You know, I've seen them on TV, and uh, I've only caught car to show a couple of times. And he's got some real, real classics from all over the world. Yes. Uh, just unbelievable. You know, in fact, I thought it was a rich man's toys type show. But the reality, they have a segment in there where a guest comes in and critiques three cars in terms of their value. And then you're supposed to guess which one is uh, appreciated in value and what have you. Mm-hmm. Each one of the three cars that they evaluated a couple of weeks ago, each, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's like an investment, you mm-hmm. know. So uh, he, he's gonna he's gonna do fairly well with that whole thing, you know. two things I admire about Jay Leno. One, I I went to his comedy show one time. It was at a mm-hmm. university, and it was it, clean. It was clean. There was no foul language. At all, and and the way he would interview people in front of the audience, and you know, in his retirement, you know, he actually quit NBC. Once a month, he'll still go up to a little small hole in the wall place to do a comedy routine. He still he doesn't want to lose that ability. So once mm-hmm. a month, it, I mean, you know, there's hardly anybody in there. He doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't care. He no. just needs to stand up. And he's good. He's a good stand-up person. Yeah. You're right. So I, well, I can I, understand. You know, I always enjoyed him, although for the last many years, I seldom would watch. You know, I, I was probably, my era ended with um, that kind of entertainment with uh, Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. And, I think that's true for most people. I think once Carson hung him up in 92, that was it. You know, I think you're probably right, Ray. I'll tell you what, Walden. I go as far back as Steve Allen. Yep. When he started the Tonight Show, and one of his, uh, there were three comics who eventually um, did very well on their own. But the one that uh, probably had the longest career was uh, Barney Fife. What was his name? Oh, Don Knox. Don Knox, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he did this whole routine that was hilarious. And then I used to listen to a program. Now, this was an old radio program out of Chicago, and it was a talk show with Jack Eigen. Yes. Well, does, does that name sound familiar? Yeah, because Fred Allen always talks about it on his radio show. He always referred to Jack Eigen. Yeah, he... Uh, he had a show that I listened to on the radio when I was in Wisconsin as a kid. Mm-hmm. And he would do, I mean, it, it was something. He did it out of a nightclub in Chicago, and he'd come out and he'd do a monologue for about 15 minutes, and he, he would tell you he's warming up. And all the, lo- all the stars that came to Chicago, he would interview them. And I remember, I believe it was uh, from... Steve Allen to Jack Parr, and after Jack Parr, who was after Jack Parr? Uh, that, it, it was Johnny Carson. Took over in '62. Yeah, now I remember when Jack 
Parr was interviewed on that Jack Eigen's program. Mm. Uh, so, but in any event, you know, I liked uh, Carson. You know, I thought he did a great job. I'm, and this is back, you know, uh, well, years ago, you know, when he first started. I, 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 I pretty much followed him throughout his career on the Tonight Show. It's interesting that, um, okay, let me give you a, a trivia question. What does Johnny Carson and Dick Cabot have in common? No, they were both uh, they were both doing uh, the night the Tonight Show. That's true. Uh, yep. yep. But what else do they have in common? Um, that's a stumper. Well, Patricia, was like is, is, is it an interview? Is it an interview they did? No. Nope, or a not. person? No. Nope, an nope, individual? No. Nope. And both, I don't want to play. They, What's the they, answer? They're both from the same state. Both from Nebraska. Very of good. course That's they are. <laughs> of course they are. Silly me. Silly, silly me. But anyway. Everybody's from. Whenever Walden asks a question like that, just say Nebraska. 92% of the time you'll be correct. But my dad's in touch with the um, <coughs> University of Nebraska, and they have mm-hmm. a, a Johnny Carson Media Center today. And the oh. foundation still donate $2 million for that. Thing every year. Wow. My word. So it tells you what the estate must have made over the years. They're still donating $2 million a pop. Probably that. <laughs> well, that, that, you know, that's really nice to hear. You, you'd like to think that people who were successful um, do stuff like that. You know, it's nice to hear. Well, listen, I'm going to let you guys run. Patricia, as always, it's a joy. You know, I uh, I worry about you. I do too. Thank you, Ray. I'll let you know. It, it just you can put your worry hat in the closet, and I'll let you know when it's time to worry. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's a deal. Okay. And right, thank you for you. caring. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye, Ray. Bye bye. I worry about Patricia almost every day. Seven one four, and I'm not, you. and I'm not a warrior. That's not my nature. Seven one four. Five four five two zero seven one. See, I haven't told. I do love Patricia very, very much. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. You guys talk to Patricia. You got twenty five minutes before we all put her to bed. We're gonna give her yep. cookie. We're gonna give her cookies and milk tonight. Ooh, ooh, cookies and milk. I'm not allowed to drink milk anymore. Huh? Okay. You okay. think so? Get out. <laughs> Milk and coffee are supposed to be on off my list. Can you imagine? No. I thought, no. I need to sit in front of these people and say, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> so now, Ray, Ray sent an email the other day yeah. and said, if I didn't know you had nine lives, I'd be worried. <laughs> <laughs> Was it true? I mean, that's what you and I figured out. You're on number four, so you still got five to go anyway. So, you know, good thing you love kitty oh. cats. You mean I whacked off four already? Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. You know. Did one two weeks ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, oh, well. You, you are yes, a survivor. I, I think I could order a new batch. Yep. I've been a very good customer. You have. You have. That's why, eventually, I want you to have a kitty cat. That's just my, okay. that's my wish for, for Patricia. <laughs> to have a little cat. Uh-huh. Remind me to tell you that, uh, or uh, could you hold just one second, um, oh, caller? Okay. I just got an email from Ed, one of our listeners, yes. who does not call in, who said he also has trouble. 
Uh, and oh, man. But he's on, he's on iTunes on a Mac, so it's not a system. You know, on the computer end, it's not a system problem. When you're on iTunes on a Mac, all you have to do is click and, you, and you're back on. But people who use the website aren't that fortunate. But anyway, so he's got problems so also. So everybody, every family, we're using a survey called Radio.co. So you might all want to go to that website and they're based in London. Send me an email. Do you, have you tried, I'm sorry, caller, don't hang up, don't hang up. Yeah. Have you tried that? I had a couple of links for me to click, mm-hmm. and they just, they just didn't go anywhere. I don't know if, if it was the radioco.co. So, anyway, your, your assignment is to go try the links after, after well, a while. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I don't use the link, I, 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 but I'm just thinking it might be good to drop them an email through the website saying that we're all having problems. Um, is that? Never mind. I'll ask you later. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Carl. I'm with Patricia. Hello, you two. Hi, Celeste. Patricia. Celeste, how are you? I had something Hi. for you again this week, and I didn't write it on the right computer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think we're going to It was a secondly a or a fortunately oh. or a... Uh, argumentally, I, I don't know. It was one of the L-Y words that was just priceless. <laughs> so, we, we're going to pick on adverbs for the next six years, I think. Yeah, I think so. Fertile too. territory. And with, it, it, it's our, with this political season, all you hear is importantly and firstly he did this. And secondly, oh, I know. I know. Oh, my goodness. We could make a fortune if, if you had to buy... The, the letters L and Y. We could make a fortune. Oh, you can show you can show as worldly statements and make a penny every time somebody uses Perfect. L Y. Sure, we'll sell them as as Y L. <laughs> That's right. We own that. I so want to you ask doing? you, Walden. There was such a good program on last night. I think I might have gone to sleep with it on. Who was that narrating the? Um, uh, Republican Party, how it oh, be. Okay, yeah. What we're playing, everybody, we are playing a four-part series when conventions were convention, tracing the history of political conventions. Yeah. And there are going to be two on the Republicans and two on the Democrats. And it's Bob Trout. I thought <gasps> Robert like Trout. Yes. And, and I thought that sounded That's what Robert Trout. Trout. I learned so much. For example, I did not notice everybody... You know, when Roosevelt ran a third time in 1940, uh, Wendell Wilkie was the one that was the Republican nominee. Right. I did not know. He was discovered from the radio show Information Please. Wendell Wilkie was? Yes. He would, uh, no. Th- no. Th- yes. Because Robert Strauss point, and they played a picture of Information Police, said he was a businessman. And when some of the big shots in the Northeast heard Wendell Wilkie on Information Please, that's mm-hmm. when it got the idea of running as the Republican candidate. See, I, would, I did not pay I attention did. closely enough to dates. I loved him when he was on Information Please, and I thought it was a flip. I thought he was already I did too. well established in politics. I, no, I did, too. And so I, now, learned, oh, I feel better. There's something you probably don't know about him that wasn't mentioned last night about mm-hmm. Wendell Wilkie, and it's this. You know, uh, Roosevelt, yep. when he ran the first time, he really, truly could not stand uh, Hoover. You know, right. um, I'm sorry. Um, he ran against 
Um, you Angus Hoover. Yeah. Yeah. He really did not like him. Mm-hmm. There was real animosity. But with Wendell Wilkie, do you know what Roosevelt did? Well, during really? during the uh, startup of the war, the Second World War, when Hitler took power and all that, he sent Will, Wendell Wilkie as his personal envoy to go over there and be his eyes and ears wow. about what was happening in Germany uh, and the surrounding countries there, you know, yeah. before World War II really broke out. And they were in, they telegraphed, he would telegraph things over. Um, and I, I'm not sure that there was already a phone to Europe at that time, because, you know, they had to lay the underground cable. I'm not sure that right. you could call Europe. But Wendell Wilkie, he sent him as his personal eyes and ears. And see, what that tells me, just like Truman used... Um, Hoover. What was it? Hoover. He used Hoover. Deliver food to starving children and all that. It shows me that when politicians are really smart, they use people that have expertise, whether they're in their own party or not. Well, mm-hmm. it pointed out last night, for people who may or may not know, that's what put Herbert Hoover on the map, because he was able to save Europe right. from starving World War One, And Truman went to Hoover after the end of war and asked him to run the same program. And so I know that's why Europe felt always indebted to Hoover. He said he uh-huh. basically fed them twice. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and also, I, I, I thought it pointed out... And there was so much negative about Hoover because of the depression and women even wore little dresses called Hoover dresses yep. they couldn't buy a new dress and the depression was so bad... And Roosevelt really did not like it. But when Harry Truman came in, he was a smart old fox, and he said, I'm going to get the man, the right man, to do this job. I also thought it was fun that Bob Trout pointed this out. In 1940, you know, for people who may or may not remember, Roosevelt was drafted uh, to, to run the third time. Four days before the Republican conviction, he named two Republicans onto his cabinet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he named, and one oh, of them, yeah, and one of them being Frank Knox, and Frank Knox uh, was Secretary of the Navy. His daughter was a movie actress, Therese Knox, who married the famous football Heisman Trophy winner Jim Harmon, and who, their son is Mark Harmon, who is the actor yeah, today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Isn't that fun? Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I, you know, this I, is like a master did he have, did he have that in his narrative last night? Yeah, he sure did. He talked about Oh, that. I guess I did. That's what I mean. It's so good. I'm looking forward to hearing the replay of this again. But we're going to play. It's, it's a four-part special, one hour a week. So last night was the first one. Uh, and it basically covered from all the conventions up to 1952. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we're going to cover the Democrats next week up to the, then we'll, the following week will go from 52 on. But just, and if what is trout narration and sound bites. And it's oh, just, it's oh just a wonderful documentary that John Lurie accidentally mm-hmm. found. Oh, I just, oh, the, it, it's just 
so good, and he's just such an expert, and he delivers his information so well. Yeah. You know, he has that wonderful voice. I remember when in the, in the '80s on ABC on Sunday morning, you could still hear Bob Trout doing his report right. from Spain. Right. Yeah, he retired from Spain, and John Lurie used to call him uh, a couple of times. And he was always so grateful and so kind to always take the call. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was just so interesting. And the other thing that I didn't know was um, until I can't remember what year he said, but for a long time, neither party had primaries. I know. I, there for, were no primaries. There were no primaries. It was you, just it was just a bunch of guys in smoke filled room and they picked the rooms and they picked the guy that they thought could win. Well, this is what I this is what I I always knew that Teddy Roosevelt, you know, ran on a third party the on bull move. the bull move, and bull I did move, not know yeah. why. I did not know why until last night. Uh huh. The, really? re- the reason why last night, Taft in 1908 ran in 12 primaries. Mm-hmm. Lost eleven of them, and he's still with the Republican nominee, and that right. made and that made Roosevelt so upset to think that yeah, the party he back with the bull moose, yeah, you know? that the party would pick out pick out a candidate when the American public didn't select him. That made him so upset. That's why he ran at the four years later at the bull moose. Holden, I am well, feeling so so well, over here. This now is the first remember, time, the uh, first time in how many years? We've been together since the beginning, actually the end of 2009, and this is the first time I can say, oh, I knew that. (laughs) I love it. What a gift. This is a welcome home gift. Why do I have this this image that everybody thinks I know everything? Well, except that. (laughs) Except that. Now, Now, let me tell you the other reason why Roosevelt... Uh, Teddy, while he ran, got back in with the Bull Moose Party. Mm -hmm. Everything that he had worked for to keep Wall Street under control and do good things for poor people, to spread the money out better, everything that he had worked for, see, Taft, uh, I mean, yeah, Taft was against. Yep, he was. And it was interesting, interesting, he played Roosevelt's speech, in 1912, and, and Bob Trout played it. He said he was more liberal than FDR was in 32. And it was fascinating. And you, He was more what? Liberal. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, because yeah. he talked about, he talked about, he, he said, we need to be for a living wage. We need to be for health. We need, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, everything that Teddy Roosevelt was saying, it was just fascinating hearing the clips uh, that Trout was playing last night in the documentary. Yeah, it was really wonderful. And he was, yes, you're right. You know, he was more liberal than FDR at he first. Yeah. He sure was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that, what else was I going to say about that series? There was some, oh, no. Now, I have a big question for you. This is pure trivia. What happened to Taft? that had the whole world laughing? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one, they had to order a bigger bathtub for him. 
He had the wolf. No, if that wasn't that wasn't it. I mean, they did have to order a bigger bathtub. Bat- they had they had to widen the doorway for him in the White well, House. Well, yeah, but before that, the reason why they had to order a new bathtub is because he used the one that was there and he got stuck in it. <laughs> And they had to have all these men go down to the uh, chef, and they put pounds and pounds of butter in that bathtub in order to pull him out. <gasps> I did not know wow. that. Is that How did he get funny? In? Yes. Why did they have to get in? They had to pull him out of the bathtub. And once so they got him, this is the man who was elected bathtub. to run the world, essentially. Well, he did not. As, as the greatest, and, and whatever made him believe that he could get in safely. He did not really want to be president of the United States. He, he, it doesn't matter. He was. <laughs> he go, he, when he, it comes to it, taking... His true ambition was to be Supreme Court Justice. I know, and he yeah. finally wound he up finally doing did, that. But yeah. in the meantime, he was president, and he was running the country, and he got into a bathtub he knew he couldn't fit in. What kind of president that's is that? That's right. And can you imagine those poor guys in the White House having to rub him down well, with butter while he sits there naked in the bathtub and got to rub him down with butter? Patricia, I thought, I'm surprised you didn't figure out the answer to that. What do what? all females say? What? What <laughs> do all females say? Let, let, us, let us not broad brush here, sir. <laughs> what do you <laughs> what, what, what do females say in the bathtub? That's a man for you. <laughs> no, I never said that. No. I said, what kind of a president is he? <laughs> no, I, I say things like, it's a guy thing. Right, well, it's sort of the same thing, isn't it? Well, it's essentially the same thing, but it's, yeah, it's but got a different tone to it. Is, is it nicer? Is it a nicer tone? I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It you know, is. The, the well, other, the of other course way I is... agree with... <laughs> I agree with Patricia. <laughs> You don't need anybody to say it's a guy thing when you're looking at a man dressed up in butter in the tub. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, with all the smartphones, he he should have been grateful that people with smartphones and all this, the way you can take pictures of everything. I had never heard the butter story. I've heard the stuck in the tub story, but I've never heard anything about butter. Wow. Well, you know, Taff, what a life he led. I mean, he was he was best friends with Lincoln kids. You know, he played with Lincoln's kids there at the White House. And, of course, you know, growing up to be president and Supreme they Court played with who? Taff was best friend with Abraham Lincoln's children. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, so he had there was a long run. Can you believe it? They're shooting off fireworks here in front of my house. It's amazing. Why not? Probably. You live there. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I will will do my homework and do a better job next week, and I'll have a lineup for you. I'm sorry? I said I'll do a better job next week. And I'll have a lineup of words and phrases. And oh, sure, stuff. sure. And, of course, we're going to hear them all, all, all over television. Just It's all you hear. Oh, that's, People that's right. Running the, oh, my goodness. Use it, it, may, it, it was probably a political quote 
that I have on the other computer and couldn't find it well enough oh, or fast okay. enough to transfer it over okay. to the big one that I'm using now. But yeah. I will find some really good ones, and you will laugh so hard, you'll wish you had done something before you called in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds like a good deal. Well, you sound perky tonight. He does. Glad to hear I you. thank you, and I you am so. perky. She's perky. And up to your, you sound like your old self now. I agree. Well, Are you taking you. care? Are you taking care of yourself? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I have no choice. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And I'm serious about this. When, whatever I'm told, that's what I do. Good. No coffee? No milk? Oh, well, most of what. Can you read it out to me? You know, is he he's writing his notes and he coffee? says, and, and do you drink milk? Yes, I really like milk. He says, okay, cut it out. And and I thought, what? Why? Who? <laughs> How can you do this to me? So, you know, we, we, we have to have a little turkey talk here to a couple yeah. of them. Yeah, and you can't Somebody even help drink caffeine-free coffee? Yeah, and two coffees. I'm allowed a maximum of two coffee, no no diet Pepsi, no milk. I figured with with all of the diets that I have to integrate, I'm going to be in the backyard with the squirrels eating grass and nuts, <laughs> except nuts are off the list, too. I mean, I, you, you just you can't win. You get no peanut butter? You gotta be kidding me! You know there 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 are merits. Now, to are there any foods life. you can't eat that you like? Regular food? Is there anything like that you can't eat? Regular Not food that I can or cannot. Cannot. Cannot eat. <laughs> almost all of them. <laughs> no red meat. Easy on the protein. Um, okay. cannot eat any cheese except a small amount of cottage cheese. Uh, I'm sorry, Swiss cheese. I can uh-huh. eat cottage cheese. Don't eat non-fat foods or low-fat foods. Eat full foods. Well, you know, I'm there are merits shorter lives but richer. <laughs> I want I'm my milk, man. I'm just trying to keep up with this diet. Wow. <laughs> it, it's just incredible. Yeah, I can eat cucumbers, which I have been eating. I love cucumbers. So, uh-huh. yeah, a lot of veggies are on, on the good list. And well, you I love, love veggies. veggies, yeah. Yeah, you, I really like my veggies. You you and the bunny rabbits are going to be first cousins. There's no doubt about it. We're going to be first cousins. I, I guess maybe instead of the squirrels, I should pack down with the bunnies. No, um, you know goodness. what, Walt? Well, the first I, I, thing know, we know, uh-huh. how, you know how Patricia's going to answer the phone. Mm, what's up, that Doc? Doc? Yeah, she'll get you a carrot. <laughs> Yes, I can do that. So I will be prepared with some really fun broadcasts and stupid stuff. I like stupid okay. stuff. Okay. I will be prepared next week. Well, I'll let somebody stuff. else call you, darling. All right. Thanks, Celeste. Okay. But that Thank was you, really, really a good show last night. Now, I said goodbye. When will the others be on, Walter? What, every Friday. So the next we'll have every to wait. Every Friday. Every Friday. And then it'll be replayed, you know, on the blue a week uh, a week later on Mondays. So uh, that. Catch it this, I, can catch, I can catch that one this Monday. Uh, a week from Monday. So it'll be the 25th. The one you played last night? Yep. I mean, the other night? Yep. 
Okay, yep. and it'll be the 25th, you right. said? Right, correct. Oh, very good, because yep. I, I was getting kind of drowsy, and I'll be glad to pay that one. Good, I don't wanna get. good. Okay, good. All right, you. thank you, Shoaz. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I have a Robert Trout for you. All righty. We're going to take Robert no more Trout? phone calls. I want to send Patricia to bed at 1230. Oh, what? Well, okay. I want to be You're good. Right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. I mean, I I should have corked at 10 o'clock, and now I'm all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I know, but go ahead. Robert Robert Trout was the one who coined Fireside Chat. Amen. Very good, Patricia. See how Are much you proud you have, of me? See how much you have learned in the last 11 years you've been with Sure, the my state. brain is so fat, my head hurts. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> 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 Ed, Ed wrote back. Ed is the one who yes. is on a Mac on iTunes, uh-huh. and Ed, we're going to exchange emails because I can't find Yesterday USA on my iTunes, which is my preferred oh, listening. Oh, yes. So he's going to help me, aren't you, Ed? This is good. I know. Dave and, Kane wanted to find it that way, so there's a bunch of members that would love to, to find that. So That's right. Yeah. You're, you're holding the keys to the listening Ooh. magic kingdom. Anyway... He wants me to have a 200% raise and get back full-time like I'm supposed to. I thought, 200% raise? I've got more zeros than anybody in the whole world there. Bill Bragg's not going to afford to keep it too much longer if we keep adding zeros. <laughs> if, we, if we keep adding zeros, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Ed. That is so much fun. Uh, what? I'm just hearing all the fireworks being shut off. Why? <laughs> no, I, 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 mean, I don't it's know. Like I don't Why know. are you listening? Why are they out there? Well, they must not, they must have leftovers from the 4th of July, you think? Well, gee, wouldn't you think they'd be sharp enough to get them off before well, the 17th? Maybe this <laughs> maybe the show brings cut Patricia's back on the air. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You can slide through anything. Well, thank you. We're, we are fireworks stuff here. That's right. All right. My dear, you want to introduce our interview and you can run off the bed? You're probably not going to run off the bed. You're probably going to say, I'm so awake anyway. But, you know. If I hunker down, I'll be asleep. Good. That's what we want. This this is, it's so disturbing to me that I'm on somebody else's sleep schedule and it's approaching the N word. Normal? Normal. Um... That's not a word that is typically used next to my name. I want you around... For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of broadcasts. So, if you guys have a low extra sleep right now, so be it. Well, we better hurry up. How many times this week are we going to be on? I don't know. Well, we're gonna, you and I will pre-record on Thursday for your awful show stuff. That's right. We've got new awful shows coming up. Larry Bless's heart has been pulling from the archives while I have not been able to put together some shows, yeah. but part of my fill-in-the-blanks when they left me alone time, I have found some new blah, 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 bad stuff. Bad, bad, bad stuff. bad stuff. So anyway, oh, here, here is a note from Ray to Walden and Patricia. See how it crashed. I'll have to, um, okay, yeah. He, he sent me some information about his crashes and his okay, timing, good. so I'll go through that good. in a little bit. So do we have one more phone call? Because I am, I have nope. 30 seconds. I, 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 have, I have shut off the phone line, so I figured. Boy, you are a protector, aren't you? I am. Aren't I, you? Only, okay. I only have one Patricia. 
That's true. The whole world only has one of me. That's right. Same. And every night they drop to their knees and say, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. Okay, I have, to, I have to tell people about Kathy Stucker. Uh-huh. Okay. Walden is playing Christmas goodies because it is Christmas in July at Yesterday USA on Saturday night, which is us, which is right now. So in 2010, was it Christmas Eve, yes. 2010, I guess the 24th? Correct. Kathy Stucker, who with her husband, Lon, run the Lumen Abner General Store, the, the Jot'em Down Store in Pine Ridge, Arkansas. And we talked with Kathy. My goodness, she stayed with us for a long time, and we only expected 10 or 15 minutes. And she was another one who was just so gracious and talked so much about Lumen Abner and about the museum and they were waiting for the mail. The mail still comes in. They've got their own zip code now. And Kathy is just a delightful person and shared so much information about the, the store and the history and who did what. Um, so I think you're going to have a good time listening to this. This is one of the interviews that is just sparkling no matter how many times you play it. But I think this is only the second time, isn't it? Yep, we've never played it on We had the original, and yep. this is the first replay. That's right. Ah, Okay. So we've got a whole bunch of people in our family who have never heard this. And and those of you who probably were listening to that, this was during the day, so you might not have missed it, you might have missed it anyway. And that's true. So. That's true. That that was the day we we did the foolish thing <laughs> <laughs> and, and started before I woke up and ended with after I went to sleep. <laughs> it was a very long day, but we had so much fun. Oh, we do. And Kathy was part of the fun. That's right. So I think you will enjoy it. And if you don't, I want to hear from you, and then I will smack you upside the <laughs> So if you want to get a hold of Patricia all week, I just want to remind her mailbox mm-hmm. is open 24 hours a day, seven days good. a week. three hundred. And this year is 366 days. Normally, three hundred, no, normally 365 days out of the year, but Patricia was given an extra day this year because she's so special. And so you can email her. You don't have to put stamps on that on that letter. <laughs> to floridawriter <laughs> at hotmail.com. That's F-L-O-R-I-D-A-W-R-I-T-E-R at hotmail.com. Before I run away and go to bed, yes, I have to confess... Because of the communication systems that we have now, I use email for everything. I, I can't remember the last time I put a stamp on something. <laughs> oh, it was to get my registration. I had to do that when I was locked up in one of these facilities. I, I, had, I said, do you have a stamp? I had to register my car, and I couldn't do it online. So one of the things I had to do this week was find an envelope from my mailbox. I cleaned out my mailbox to find out how much postage was. I have, I have no idea how much it was because we most of us buy forever stamps now, and there's no number on them, but it's 46 cents. I thought it was 48, so that's pretty good. So we got a deal at 46. Well, uh, it was 46 cents on the envelope I looked at. That doesn't mean it was Well, no, probably right. <laughs> I, it it I, wasn't a stamp. It was one of the, you know, the, the machine meters, yep, I think. Yep. So I, I guess I should go look at another one and just make sure that they weren't trying to do a, a Nolan Kenner. I, I remember <laughs> I when have to find that envelope. I remember <laughs> when the stamps were thirteen cents back in nineteen seventy nine. So, Ooh. and I know we have listeners that remember when stamps were three cents, and they were three cents for I think Patricia figure for thirty some odd years practically. Oh, it was forever. It seemed. Yeah. No matter what 
year, I said, okay, what do you think a car cost in this year? And, you know, we'd, we'd be out in, you know, the, out of the ballpark on that one. <laughs> I'd say, how much was a stamp? And as long as you said three cents, you were in pretty good territory. It went on forever, forever. So, okay, I have to go, I have to go now. You do. Because Alden says. I said, I said. And, and we'll listen to Kathy Stucker. That's right. And enjoy it. And thank you, Alden. I'll talk to you during the week, maybe. Uh, we will. We'll definitely talk Thursday. Oh, that's right. That's, I've got stuff on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday mean, is you, flight day. I've only I, got one person picking I, you, on me on no, Thursday. No, that's what I mean. I think you, you've got such a hectic schedule. I'm trying to be careful when I get to. I hope to tell you. And they've got the, these hour-long, ex- well, actually, I guess one, the sets of exercises are about 30 to 40 minutes each. But they're from two people. <laughs> and I have to do two a day from two people. Plus, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a full-time job. No wonder, you're re- no, no wonder you're ready for bed. I am. It's true. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Okay. I'm gone now. All right, my dear. Talk to you this week. Good night, everybody. Good, Good night, night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. Jaws Professional. Prove music. Prove music. Alt F4. One Saturday. Friday morning. One two dash two four dash one zero with Patricia Guestmayer of the Friday morning. One one two dash unloading jaw cans. Okay, enter. One Saturday. Yesterday, USA, please stand by.
Crosby, Merry Christmas, everybody, and hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Merry Christmas again. We are just having a wonderful time today. We have a special guest with us right now. I sound like a duck, and I apologize for that. I wound up getting a cold from one of our tourists, so this is not quite the way I normally sound. We are going to be talking with Kathy Stucker, who, with her husband, Lon, have owned the Jot'em Down store in Pine Ridge, Arkansas for 30 years. Now, for anybody who has ever listened to Alum and Abner show, you know what I'm talking about when I say the Jot'em Down store. For people who have not ever listened to Lum and Abner, you must do this. I will send Lum and Abner shows to anyone who asks for any reason. Um, down home country, wonderful uh, comedy, great characters and people and we are fortunate enough to have Kathy with us who not only owns and runs the store with her husband but has researched beyond belief um, and has information about Lumen Abner and the store and about Pine Ridge. Welcome Kathy. Merry Christmas everybody. Merry Christmas. This is just so terrific. Kathy, when we were on the phone a couple, oh gosh, I guess it was about two weeks ago, maybe a little bit more, you were telling me a little bit about the store, about the, the characters in Lubbock and Abner actually being shaped around actual residents in Pine Ridge, which was known as a different name at that time. So maybe you could go through a little bit, tell us what the store looks like, tell us what's in the museum, and then we can talk about the people who were involved in that. Can we do that? Sure, sure. Uh, this, it's actually two stores. Where I'm sitting right now is was Dick Huddleston's store. It was built in 1909. You know, on the programs, they're always sending the customers over to Dick's store when they're all busy in one of their arguments or situations, and then they wonder why they don't have any money in their cash register, and Dick has all the customers. This was really was Dick Huddleston's store. On the program, there are little stores across the street, and our museum is in the building that was that little store across the street. It was built in 1904. It belonged to a local family that still is here. <coughs> uh, it was moved when the road was paved in the 50s, and now it's attached to the side of, of Dick's big store. And as you come in the front door to uh, where the gift shop is and the post office is, the post office is right here to my right, and you go in the connecting door into the museum where we have added other uh, rooms to house all the collection as it's uh, expanded. Uh, not only the store merchandise that was original to the store, but the things from the homes and the farms, the school, um, the, the churches, just all kinds of things from just Americana, the, the whole history of um, most of the country, it was all the same. The accents are different, but small towns were the, were the same. The old general store was pretty much the same all over the, the country. And uh, they're not very big stores. Um, 
by today's standards, but Dick's store was quite a big store at its time. Really? Um, how many people live in the community of Pine Ridge? 21. 21 people. And you've got your own zip code there. Yes, it's a contract post office now. It was a fourth-class post office at one time, so it, it got a, a zip code. Um, it was formed in 1886, um, so it, and by a, an act of Congress was how post uh, offices were established at the time, so it makes it kind of a unique post office. So they can't just say you close the door and go home. They have to go to an act of Congress to take it away from us. So. Oh, my goodness. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. An act of Congress. Boy, this is big-time stuff. <laughs> Tell me what the post office section of the store looks like. Oh, it's about 8 feet by 10 feet. It's a little uh, old. Uh, well, and then we have a display wall along one, one wall, too. The window that we use today to give the people their mail and the, the boxes, the, the combination boxes that are next to it, are from the 1930s, perhaps some of it from the 1940s, and uh, the old screen door uh, that we go in and out just into that little enclosure. Um, so it's, it definitely is a museum-type post office, but even older is the window from the 1890s, very early 1900s, and we have it just sitting on a counter, taking the, the shelves off of a display area. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's very old. It's a glass front with just open boxes behind the glass, and you would have um, just looked through the glass to see if you had any mail, and the, the person would hand you your mail through the window, and that's what we still do today. The, the people's mail, people who live here get their mail here if they want to, and tourists, of course, mail postcards, but when they walk up to the window, we just hand them their mail. Nobody bothers to open their box from the outside. And then we have a big map that shows all the postal routes in the whole state from 1925. And a lot of those towns are either gone now or big cities now. Some of them are under lakes after dams were built. There's lots and lots of changes in 85 years. My gosh, I, I guess so. Kathy, how did you wind up in Pine Ridge, and was it Pine Ridge when you got there? Oh, yes, yeah, we've only been here a little over 30 years. The original post office in 1886 was in the store that belonged to Henry M. Waters, and it was about maybe half a mile down the old highway, which is not the main highway anymore. Um, and he got a, a, a contract to, to have the post office in his little store. He didn't live here very long, uh, just maybe a year and a half, two years, and so the post office went from hand to hand was in just whatever uh, building whoever had a, a store. It was always in some other kind of a, a business, a little general store of some kind. And uh, so it was, it's never been a, a big enough town to be incorporated. It has no official town name even today. It's just the name of the post office. And since it was in the Henry M. Waters store, it was the Waters Post Office. So that was the name of the town uh, until Lum and Abner uh, on the radio created a name for uh, the community that they were talking about, and they said Waters didn't sound like a, a, a mountain village in Arkansas. It sounded like a Louisiana swamp, so they made up the name of Pine Ridge. This is pine woods here, mixed forest. It's mostly national forest. Uh, 
flat land hardly anywhere in this part of Arkansas. There's just lots of rolling hills. So uh, Pine Ridge became the name on the radio, and people would come to Big uh, Huddleston's store and expect it to be Pine Ridge. And uh, so they, when Bum and Abner became this huge hit within four or five years of just beginning on the radio, they had big ceremonies on the steps of the Capitol building in Little Rock and changed the name of the post office to Pine Ridge. So that's what it has been now for since 1936. Forever. Tell us about Ch Chetlock and Norris Goff. Chester Harris Locke and Findlay Norris Goff. Tuffy Goff, he was called Chetlock and Tuffy Goff. They um, were young men in Mina, and when they were in grammar school, they were the class clowns. When they were in high school, they did the, the school activities, of course. They were uh, very popular young men. Uh, the girls who dated them said it wasn't any fun at all because uh, the boys would get all the attention because they were always showing off, always doing something silly. Uh, so they did the college activities also and uh, came back to be in their father's businesses, young businessmen, and did all of the, the civic functions. So when the uh, statewide flood in the early 30s, late 20s, occurred and, the, and they had uh, talent uh, shows and uh, fundraisers on the radio all over the state. They were invited to go to Hot Springs to be part of one of those broadcasts. And they had done various different things. They hadn't really settled on a particular routine, and so they were talking about this popular new radio program, Amos and Andy. Uh, but then they heard that a lot of people were going to be copying Amos and Andy, so they came up with some two little kind of country characters and uh, kind of did a little rehearsal in the car on the way. And when they got there and were ready to be introduced on the air, they hadn't even thought about needing any names for anybody. And they asked how to be introduced. And, they, and uh, Chet said, well, I'll be Lum Edwards. And Abner said, well, I'll be uh, Abner Peabody. They just off the top of their heads. And the rest of their lives, they were Lum and Abner. It's amazing that they it, that it was an off-the-top-of-their-head type routine, and it worked so beautifully. We're talking with Kathy Stucker, who, with her husband, Lon, owns the Jot 'em Down store in Pine Ridge, Arkansas. Pine Ridge, Arkansas was the home of Lum and Abner, and uh, Chet Locke and Norris Goff were Lum and Abner, and the writers and the creators and... They, they just did the whole thing. It was, it was marvelous. And if you'd like to call in and ask Kathy a question or wish her Merry Christmas, we're at 714-545-2071. Okay, here we go. Um, Kathy, I was really taken with not only that there was a Dick Huddleston, which I knew, but um, Norris Goff's wife really was named Elizabeth. I know it was mm -hmm. Elizabeth in the show, but his real wife was Elizabeth. Yeah, they used uh, local names. They actually grew up in Mina, which is only 20 miles from here. Uh -huh. uh, a few of the characters were based on, on people that maybe had more Mina collection, connection than, than Pine Ridge connection, but most of the characters were based on the people closer here in Pine Ridge. Um, but they would use a combination of local names, uh, 
there are Edwards families and Wee Hunts and Will Heights and just almost all the names that you hear on the radio. There's somebody around with the somebody with the first name, somebody else with the last name, maybe somebody else with the personality, somebody else with the appearance, but with their great talent for mimicry and comedy and uh, all the other stuff that went into the programs. They created the setting and the characters out of Pine Ridge and people right here. What, what was the reaction of the townspeople when they realized that they were part of the Lum and Abner community? Well, most of them got a big kick out of it. There was no electricity here until very late in the program. Many people didn't actually get to listen to the programs until the late 40s. It was after World War II there was, before there was electricity in Pine Ridge. And there were more pressing needs for what little resources people had than getting a battery-powered radio. Um, it's very poor soil. It's a very poor area. So you, you just didn't have that kind of luxury to to listen to the programs, but they did know that um, these were, were hometown boys. There were a couple of guys from New York making fun of Pine Ridge, making fun of Arkansas. It was uh, stuff that these fellas knew very well and respected the people. And uh, so they, they very, very few people uh, resented it in any way. There was nothing mean-spirited about it, and they no. were not poking fun at people. It, and, and if I'm hearing you correctly, they just brought in the people who were important to them and made them part of the show. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, once they, within just a few months of appearing in Hot Springs, they were in Chicago on network radio. They were invited to, uh, well, actually, they just went and, and, and auditioned the, the Hot Springs station, knew the, what they had, and, and took them to, to Chicago to audition, and they went to the on as a, a summer replacement for a network program. Uh, within just months of the very first amateur program in Hot Springs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just grew from there, and within just a few years, they were all over the country with their, their own program, their own contract, not substituting for anybody. And people would go up there to visit them, people from MENA, and they would put in the in the show say oh there goes Susie walking down the street hey there Susie and that would be the signal to the people back in Nina that yes Susie had gotten there and they'd seen her <laughs> I love it there really was a down-home flavor that was sincere and genuine mm -hmm. that is great we're talking with Kathy Stucker from the Johnham Down store um, she and her husband Lon have owned the store for over 30 years I want to ask you how you found Lumen Abner. My husband's mother and her husband uh, were visiting some of his cousins that had moved fairly recently to uh, uh, bought a house not very far down the road. And as they made the turn here, they noticed that uh, Dick Huddleston's store was still here. Um, it was open, but not, they discovered, open very often. It, uh, Dick Huddleston had died in 1963, so they, uh, the daughter kept the stores open but didn't uh, um, spend the days down here like Dick and, and his wife had done. They just come down. She came down when she felt like it. And actually, she would she would tell this story herself. If it was a, a Ford with an Arkansas license plate on it, she'd know they didn't have any money, and she wouldn't come down off the hill to open the store. 
But if it was a Cadillac with a Texas license plate, she knew they had some money, so she'd come down and see what they wanted. <laughs> but that's only about as often as the store was open. So they, uh, my husband's mother made a, a, a deal to, to buy the stores and the contents. And all the old fixtures are still here now. Uh, the, the merchandise that was still on the shelves, so old style stuff from the 30s and 40s. Uh, this was in the 60s, but a lot of it was still here. And so it was bought lock, stock, and barrel. And then for the next 40 years, now we've been adding to it as an old barn gets cleaned out, as somebody's attic gets cleaned out, as just all kinds of ways that we uh, accumulate more and more and more of the local history. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of the merchandise that was there in the 1960s on display? In the 60s? Well, when um, when was the store originally oh, bought? When, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. When we, when the store was bought. From the, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. That's what the museum is full of today. Oh, Things right. That were, anything that was in the store was not sold thereafter. It was turned into the, the museum contents. It became and part of the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of things are there? What well, kind of things did you find the in the store? Let me turn the lights on. I'm going to go through the door from Dick Huddleston's store of 1909, go back in time to 1904 here. Oh, wow. And okay. And then turn on the light. And the hallway is full of pictures of Lemon Abner, for not only from their pictures, their, their movies, their radio, but their families, too, and the various different activities. Here's Fibber McGee and Molly with Lemon Abner, and all kinds of, you know, their career program. Uh, lives. And one case here has the uh, originals of their advertising premiums. You could send for all kinds of different things over the years, especially have, Horlick's Malted Milk was the sponsor. Do you have Horlick's a Horlick's flashlight? I'm an Abner fan, and, and he put out several different things that people could send for, a box top or a porter mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Kathy, do you have... The, the little store, the 1904 store, it's probably about mm, 20 to 24, something like that. The other, the big Dick Huddleston store is about twice this big, so mm-hmm. neither one of them are very big. This is quite small. We have a wall of pictures of the people and the town back then. <coughs> we have a wall of uh, some of the old, old, old clothing, the old store journals from Dick's store, newspaper articles about the beginning of Lemon Abner, all kinds of things that happened over the years that hit the newspapers, the local papers, uh, in Mina especially. And some of them are, are Little Rock paper articles clear up till their death. Uh, a case of post office history, a case of the sponsors, uh, uh, checks, Bibles, Kindles, table that has the old cash register and scales and Kathy, we're losing. 
And I think we lost Kathy there. We lost we lost Kathy. Yes. Um, it, I believe she is obviously on a, a cordless phone, yep. and she went probably just a little bit too far. Can you get her back on the phone? Oh, you bet. So we'll put a little music, and we'll call her back. Excellent. I will hang up and wait for you to call me. Okay. We'll be right back, everybody. Watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Why? Santa Claus is coming to town, gather round. He's making a list, checking it twice, he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're away. He knows if you've been bad or good, so, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. With little tin horns, little toy drums, rooty toot toots and rum-a-tum-tums, Santa Claus is coming to town. The kids and girls in Boyland will have a jubilee. They're gonna build a toyland town all around the Christmas tree. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Bing Crosby and Silver Bills, and we're back with Kathy. Go ahead, Patricia. We, we are back with Kathy. We lost her in cyberspace. Her phone <laughs> and our phone decided to have a fight, but we have her back. We're talking with Kathy Stucker at the Jotham Down store in Pine Ridge, Arkansas. 
for Lumen Abner fans, you are probably dancing around. If you are not Lumen Abner fans or have not heard the show, if you're new to old-time radio and you have not heard Lumen Abner, I will send some shows to anybody, anywhere, because it is a must-listen. Kathy, welcome back. I'm sorry we lost you. It might have been my fault. I went, you know, around a corner just in, I wasn't probably 10 feet away, but uh, phone signals are very weak here. We're very far from anything. If you're on a cell phone, it's a wonder you got to me at all. There's just no signal here for cell phones. <laughs> We're not on cell phones, but um, I, I can understand what you're telling me, uh, that you walk behind a wall and, and you're gone. Yeah. You're, you're just gone. We were talking about the kinds of things that are in the museum that were in the store in the 1960s when it was first bought from the Huddleston family. And um, you've been there for 30 years working with this. So we, we are just delighted with this. Kathy, you and I talked a little bit about the annual Christmas show that Lumen Abner did and how it relates to real life in Pine Ridge. Would you talk about that for a little bit? Sure, yeah. Um, one of the local fellows who died just recently, his name was Chester Norris Garrett because he was born on Christmas Day just down the road. And uh, uh, it was, Lemon Abner was already very popular. This was in the late 30s. And uh, Dick Huddleston's daughter ran down and convinced the parents to name him Chester Norris after Chet and Taffy and to recognize a, a real connection to the, the Lemon Abner radio Christmas program in which they go to a barn just down the road where a baby is born to some travelers and they bring him gifts. But there are, um, so he was. He was a real live uh, Pine Ridge Christmas baby. <laughs> uh, the, Chris, uh, the, the actual Christmas celebrations early on in the history, there people didn't have things to to, to have real gift giving of, of any size. It might have been a couple of apples or oranges or things like that that uh, the parents would get, uh, maybe a, few, a handmade something. One of the ladies um, that grew up here said her whole childhood and until well into her adulthood, she got one Christmas present. It was a, a doll whose eyes opened and closed that a, um, a relative had gotten for her through a, a trade as a, in a store, uh, you know, and getting stuff for their store. There just was not a lot of gift-giving. Many people that I interviewed and in doing local history uh, had never ever had a birthday party. You just didn't have uh, the, the things to have the celebrations. Uh, How did people earn a living in the in in the historic days when Lemon Abner was popular? You would uh, uh, subsistence farming. You you raised the food you needed to feed your family. You would come to the the store um, either with excess that you had to trade for what you needed or you know credit is a big problem now but it was just as much a problem then you would uh, just uh, write in the in the ledger these ledgers that we still have um, you know, like a promissory note you'd get uh, your your seed to plant your crop with a promise that you would deliver uh, so much of the crop to for the merchant to sell um, things like uh, 
chewing tobacco. Uh, uh, candy for the kids if they decided to splurge on a, a, a penny candy. Um, that even something like that would get written down. They, they didn't have the, the penny or the, the nickel. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the, a, a big debt guy piled up, it might have been even 75 cents or something like that over a good period of time. And then they'd bring in a load of firewood to pay off that 75 cent debt. So it was, it was barter. There, there was, I'm in the Abner show, at least one. I told you I'd listened to a couple of hundred, but it's going to take me half my lifetime to listen to every single one of them and appreciate it because I keep going back and listen to, re-listen to some of them. But there was a show in there where a little guy came in looking for penny candy, and he did have a penny, and what a remarkable thing it was that he had the penny and could pay for the candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... There was a fire down here back in the 30s, 40s. Uh, just, it just damaged the, the very back of the store. But uh, the a girl that grew up here, and I, and I know, she said when she saw that fire, this was the only store she'd ever been to. And, and Dick always kept several jars of candy, had a nice candy display for, for that period of time, hard candy. And she was just sure every piece of candy in the world was going to burn up. That was what she was concerned about. Yeah, yeah. She didn't know that if there was candy anywhere else or not, but she knew Dick had a kid candy. Oh, bless her heart. Now, Walden and I had an opportunity about a week ago to taste for the first time whorehound candy. Neither one of us, I, I had never heard of it. Walden's parents, he, he asked his parents, and yes, they had heard of it and tasted it. Was whorehound candy in the store? We still have whorehound candy in the store. You do? Wow. How did you like whorehound candy? It's an acquired taste, right? I don't know. I think um, they kind of cheated on the package that I have. It doesn't have a strong taste at all, and uh, it's not unpleasant. No. uh, Whorehound is an herb, Uh and it's it's more medicinal than it is sweet. It tastes to me like a cross between a cough drop and root beer, which doesn't do much for either one unless you just happen to like Whorehound, you know, it's like with licorice, you either love it or hate it. Uh-huh. Whorehound's kind of the same thing. You know? Oh, yeah. that's really interesting. Well, uh, obviously, because of the way I sound, I mean, yesterday I sounded like a goose. Today it's just a duck. <laughs> um, I, I was walking around saying, what am I going to do to help my throat here because it was so sore? And I ate some whorehound candy. I have yep. no idea if it helped, but it surely didn't hurt. Yeah, and it's a great cough drop. Yeah, good for your throat. Yeah, well, I, I thought that was pretty cool. So I've got some whorehound candy here, and that was the first time I ever tasted it. So I'm very pleased that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're carrying uh, this. If, if, your th- if your throat was all coated, you didn't get the strong taste. Taste it sometime when you don't have a sore throat, and it will taste different. And we had the Great American Taste Off on a Saturday night. Walden and I are usually on on Saturday nights, and one of our listeners from North Carolina just couldn't believe that he called me a Yankee. <laughs> he couldn't believe that I had never tasted it. So he sent some to Walden and to me, and we said, okay, tonight's the night. We have to sit here and taste our whorehound candy. So we did a, a great American taste off on that. It was, it was pretty good. Neither one of us thought it was terrible stuff, um, but it doesn't have a strong flavor, so I think they cheated on the amount of um, whorehound herb they, they put in there. Do your, your listeners know which of the characters, which of the men did 
the two men did did all of the characters on the radio. Please talk about that. They might not know that, Kathy. Chet Locke was Lum, Grandpappy Spears, and Cedric Wehunt, three of the of the main characters. Tuffy Goff was Abner, Mousy Gray, Squire Skimp, Dick Huddleston, and lots of other characters that would come and go over the years. He did many of them. They would uh, write a script, uh, especially when, when it got on as a network program. They were required to write a script, but they didn't always stick to it. They were such practical jokers and ad-libbers, and they had done this basically their whole lives. They had, had done the skits and things in school, so they could just bounce off of each other, ad-lib, something strange would happen, they'd drop something or whatever and it would just become part of the program they didn't have to stick to the script to know what the other guy was going to do sometimes uh, it would get so crazy they would get the giggles and the, then they then they might be in trouble not be able to, to even finish the program but that didn't happen very often um, they would were famous for getting off of the script uh, but they had a, a signal that it that one of them would would make this little signal and that would mean they had only so many seconds probably a minute or two to get back to the script so they could end the program where it needed to end so they could continue their story the next day because they did you know it would continue on and on and on with this almost soap opera style uh -huh. that they would get into and then have to get back out of um, the practical jokes uh, you really had to have a good sense of humor to be in the studio with them because they would do things to their announcer, um, pants him on the air. Of course, this wasn't television, so it didn't matter, but, the, you know, they'd start undressing the announcer while he was giving the commercial. <laughs> uh, they would set fire to his script while he was reading it. They would walk out the door and leave him there all by himself. Oh, gee. Um, they, were, they were always, their whole lives, they were called the boys, like they'd never grown up. Uh, Chet said uh, when he was here before he died in uh, 1980 um, that he thought someday in his life he would have to go to work and he never did. This was never, never felt like work to him. He was able to learn or earn a living doing what was fun stuff for him. Isn't yeah. that wonderful? They were on the radio live nearly every day for almost 25 years, 1931 into the 50s and movies made in the 40s and early 50s. And then when they retired from radio, television had taken over that medium, the, that kind of situation, comedy. Yeah. But uh, Taffy by then was quite ill and just could not do the physical rigors of television. And uh, the television writers in New York thought they knew more about comedy than Chet and Taffy did and what they wanted them to do was terrible if you've ever seen one of the early uh, pilots that uh, they tried to hide because <laughs> they were so bad um, so they just <laughs> retired from it nearly altogether. you'd see them once in a while uh, as a guest on something uh -huh. um, but Chet went on to be uh, public relations vice president for Conical Oil for many years traveled all over the world based out of Houston and then I retired know and that. moved back here to Arkansas I lived in Hot Springs till he died. Taffy stayed in Southern California where they'd gone to make their movies. And um, he did um, Gomer Pyle. He was Grandpa Timer, too. 
on, on a couple of programs like that. But um, they they basically retired in the mid '50s as far as as uh, radio, television, anything like that. Mm-hmm. How many movies did they do, Kathy? Seven. They made seven movies. We have the posters here in the museum and stills from the the the, the movies themselves. Uh, pictures of them with Clark Gable and uh, various other people who were making movies at the same time, just visiting each other's sets. The, the six of the movies are made in Hollywood. The seventh is a set of uh, short uh, put together to make a movie, and it was done by a, a movie company in Czechoslovakia, of all places. Oh my. That's where they went to to Europe to do these movies and discovered it was not what it was had been presented to them as when they signed the contracts, but they honored the contracts. Um, and so they're they're kind of like little travelogues with these uh, famous American radio stars coming to uh, these countries in Europe mm-hmm. and then having to uh, get into and out of some situation in which they save the lady or help the family or whatever it is and go to the next place. It's uh, not very much like their regular uh, programs, but uh, it's uh, a a different chapter in their lives, for sure. Did that storyline pick up anything from the trip that was made, the the, um, transatlantic broadcast that was made? was there any relationship in that movie to the transatlantic? No, I don't think so. No, uh, uh, and the transatlantic uh, broadcast was the very first one made live from a comedy team with one of them in New York and the other one in London. First time that that was done using the brand new in 1938 transatlantic cable. And these were live shows. Yes. Yes. So that was an extraordinary feat for them to have accomplished. Yeah. The programs leading up to it, Lama has learned that he has inherited some property in England. Mm-hmm. So he decides he needs to learn English. Uh, of course, Arkansas English is, is not very much like the English that they speak in, <laughs> in, in London, but uh, he thinks uh, English uh, that is going to be a whole new language and he needs to learn. He has to figure out how to get there, and Abner thinks if they went around by way of Mongolia, they could just drive. <laughs> and, uh, but actually what it's leading up to is Chet and Harriet's uh, vacation. Harriet was his real-life wife, uh, sailing on the Queen Mary across the Atlantic. And uh, on the program, this, this live transatlantic broadcast, Lum is telling Abner that he met this nice lady, Harriet, on board ship, and he's sparking her around London. And uh, they just tie it all together. It it really is amazing. Who is your favorite character other than Lum and Abner? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. Cedric is is so much fun. Uh, He's this great, hulking young man who's still in the third grade. Uh, he hasn't been able to pass any of the tests in the, for the readers yet, but he keeps outgrowing the, the benches, so they have to put him in a bigger, a higher grade, uh, so he can, because he has to sit on a, on a 
a bigger bench, bigger seat. Um, oh, Mousy Gray. Well, there's so many of the people that, even though they aren't the same people, because we're here 60 years later, uh, we know people who are very similar to some of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everybody the guy has that sounded been. just like Mousy Gray. Uh, oh, not that's only amazing. the voice, but his, his personality was just uh-huh. like Everybody has had some of those characters in their lives at one time or another. Oh, yeah. Yeah, every every town uh, has the, the town characters. In fact, when, when Lemon and Edmund were starting off, they were uh, doing lots of live shows all over the country. They'd be invited to go to the, the theater when there were, there were live shows. Um, it wasn't really in vaudeville, but that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they were invited to go to New England, and they said, nobody in New England's going to have any connection to Lum and Abner. They're, nobody's going to want to come see it that's not going to understand anything, that, you know, what we're doing. And they said, oh, you'd be surprised. You come ahead. And it was a huge hit. The accent is different, but uh, small towns, general stores, um, the, the people, it's, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite series? Now, in in each, uh, the the show was set up in a serial, a series of serials. What is your favorite serial within that show? Oh, I think most people, it's uh, Diogenes. That's a, that's a very very popular one. Um, my, I think my husband's favorite is uh, Men's Protective Association, and the men have to think they need to, to assert themselves a little more because the women uh-huh. are getting too pushy and, of course, they make it a whole lot worse. Um, I don't know that I really have a favorite. Um, if, if you listen closely and, and know a little bit about the, the background, there are so many inside jokes that those are fun to pick up on. Uh, they, and they were wonderful. And uh, as you say, you have to... Um, have been with them for a while to pick up on the kind of humor that's going on, the, it, the depth of the humor. You can listen to one show and have a good time. But Diogenes is one of my favorite sequences as well. Diogenes was, uh, for people who have, might not have heard this particular series, Diogenes was someone who breezed into town ostensibly looking for an honest man so he could give that person $10,000. And, of course, the personality of everybody in, this, in the town changed. Um, and one of the things that just stuck with us, with so many of us, was when Diogenes passed on the phrase, wonderful world, wonderful world. Uh, and anybody, uh, Lum and Abner, would come into the store and they would look at each other and say, hello, Lum, wonderful world, wonderful world. And it became um, the, the emblem of everybody's attempt to get the $10,000. Um, and it turned out, of course, I, I'm not going to give away the end. <laughs> go, look, go, look, go look for Diogenes. It's just a, a wonderful sequence. And anybody who wants it, I will find it in my files and send it to you. Right. So if you'd like to ask Kathy a question or wish her Merry Christmas, we're at 714-545-2071. Kathy, do you have a Horlitz flashlight? Um, let's see. Let me go back. If I don't lose you again, let me look. I don't. We have the malted milk jar. We have the weather predictor. 
I don't believe I have a flashlight. No, I don't. That's interesting. If I recall correctly, that was the first premium that they gave away, and the response was so overwhelming that they had to go into massive production to meet the demand, uh, which, which is really interesting because, boy, if there was ever a benchmark about how popular that show was, it was the response to the Horlick flashlight. And I, I believe it was their, their weather badge where it was just a little piece of litmus paper in this, looks like a sheriff badge, but it says Lemon Abner and all this on it. And uh -huh. it was a, it was a, to predict when the weather would happen, and you know when it would rain, and uh, it just the paper chain changes color as you learned in chemistry class. Sure. Um, they they didn't get permission ahead of time to do that. That just came off the top of their head. They decided to start offering this, and then they. And then the uh, sponsor wouldn't do it, so they had to pay for it all themselves. Oh my goodness! And they and they like hundreds of thousands of them. You know, they just they were very very popular. So they. I did research for several years to get the stores on the National Register of Historic Places, uh, which they are, um, and that takes lots of work, and I had put all the, my notes and write-ups and everything in the file cabinet, and then uh, people, uh, of course, you know, ask the same questions over and over and over when they come to the museum, and I decided I'll just put this together in a book with lots of photographs and uh, something that people can take home and uh, read more than they really wanted to know about it. So we do have the book for sale here in the store. It's $5. Um, I don't remember right off the top of my hat what the, the mailing would be on a, a little paperback book that's, uh, you know, it's not hard <laughs> down, it's not heavy, but it's... Uh, just send me five dollars and we'll pay the postage. And uh, we have that book, and then we also have the book that Lum and Abner did themselves when they, you know, the first contract was a summer replacement. So when that ran out, they didn't have a contract, uh, but wanted to see if they could just be self-sustaining uh, on their own basis. So they put together this book of. The photographs of the people here in Pine Ridge, the stores here, the school, uh, the various different things that they were talking about, and a full-page write-up for each of the characters, as they were, had already developed the core of their characters, probably a dozen of the characters. And Chet, the uh, college major, was, was commercial art, a fine uh, artist, did the, the caricatures of the characters in this book are his drawings. And they sold that over the radio to, as a, a substitute for the sponsor until they got a sponsor. And we sell copies of that, not originals, of course, but we have uh, paperback um, with the, of the, the, that actual book that we uh -huh. sell, and that's $3. Well, this is just terrific. Tell people how they can get in touch with you, the website and contact information. Well, I lost you there for a minute. You lost uh, me before, now I lost you. Okay, tell, tell people about getting in touch with you and the website address. Okay, um, 
If you want to call us, it's 870-326-4442. If you want to mail, regular snail mail, it's uh, Lemon Abner Store, 4562 Highway 88 West, Pine Ridge, Arkansas, 71966. Our uh, website address, which is just purely for information, we don't sell anything over the web, is uh, lum-letter-n-abner.com. Our uh, email address is, uh, my, to come, come to me, is km, m as in Mary, km stucker at earthlink.net. My husband is nl stucker at, when, at uh, earthlink.net. So you have various ways to get a hold of us. I love it. Kathy, I have one more question, and I'm, I'm kind of hopping backwards here. I hope that's okay. Sure. Lum, Lum and Abner went to a half-an-hour show with an audience from a 15-minute format with no audience. What, what are your thoughts about what happened when they went to the audience format? I like the 15-minute shows much better, the ones of, of just them. Uh, they they did a I feel like a, a better job of all the characters. They were more in touch, maybe with uh, what they were creating in your imagination, with mm -hmm. an audience and an orchestra and laughter and all this the other distractions. It was it was a radio program, a, a performance in front of an audience, not this imaginary radio phenomenon that had been popular for so many years. Mm -hmm. My thoughts exactly. Walton and I have talked about this and have said it. It. I felt like I was looking through a window when they had the 15-minute format. We were privy to what was going on in reality. And as you say, when they transferred to the half hour and the audience, it just became a radio show. Right. Uh, and perhaps part of that was uh, Tuffy was ill by then. He had cancer for almost 30 years, fighting it off and on before he finally died of heart failure in uh, the mid-70s. Uh, uh, Chet did die of cancer just 18 months later, but uh, within 18 months of knowing he had it. Um, uh, quite often, Tuffy just did not feel well enough to have the enthusiasm, and that's, uh. that's kind of contagious, I think, too. It was, uh, you know, they, you, you could just kind of hear it in their voices. They didn't put as much work into the various characters, uh, uh, the, the voices, the personalities, various different parts of uh -huh. it. The, I least, recognize you know, I've heard enough programs that I can tell the difference. I don't know whether the casual listener can, but I sure can. Well, I'm, I'm not an expert like you are, but I could sure tell the difference, and that was one of the reasons that um, I wasn't put off, or I'm not put off by the half-hour shows. They're just different, and the characters are different. They didn't have the folksy feel that they had when they were in the 15-minute shows. So I'm really delighted to hear you say that and <laughs> validate my opinions on this. What are you going to do tomorrow for Christmas? I have lost you again. I don't know whether it's my batteries or, what are you, what or are the you heavy going? clouds. It's raining, but... How are, how are you going to celebrate Christmas tomorrow? I, I cannot hear you now. Are you back? I'm, I'm there still are. here. Okay. Uh, are, are you with me now? Yeah, I can hear you again now. I, I seem to... 
Yeah, we're just hopping in and in and out. Last question: What are you doing, or what have you done over the years that's special for Christmas? We're, what we do here in the, in the real town, the real county, the the real people that live here in this in this county. It's a very poor county that is 75% national forest. Uh, some uh, warehouser kind of, you know, the, the the tree growing the people. Maybe 15% privately owned land. No major industries, mostly. You work in the woods or on a chicken house or uh, with cattle. Uh, there's not anybody that has very much money. There are very few people who have very much money. So we have a huge um, program in which we provide gifts for children who otherwise won't get any. Um, and that really comes uh, with Lum and Abner, too. They, back in the 30s and 40s, when, when they were doing so well, they would send money to Dick Huddleston for him to buy gifts for the children, and they would have a community Christmas tree where the kids would come here and, or to the church or to the school to get, to get gifts, uh, bags of oranges and, and toys uh, uh-huh. that were paid for by Lum and Abner. How many children are you and Lon looking out for this year? Well, it's a, it's a countywide project. Uh, we don't we do a lot of the work, but we don't pay for for it. This year, it was 260 children. I do the organizing and shopping uh, and paperwork. I have two other co-chairs that do major parts of, of the, the the whole structure of the thing. It takes an awful lot of organization and shopping year-round to get Indeed. for 260 children. Indeed. Well, you sure know how to spread Christmas. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and tomorrow our grandson and his family are going to come in the afternoon to open gifts. Our children live up up north, and it's too cold and snowy for us to go up there, and it's too hard to make sure that they can get back to work for them to come down here. So uh, we, we don't have the whole family at Christmas time. You reserve your visits for times of the year when you know they can get in and out. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And since we have a post office here in the store, we can't just close the post office and go visit them. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, I never even thought about that as a consideration. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, having animals in a post office is worse than having a house full of kids. You can back up the kids and go, but you can't take them. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, well, Kathy, I just am so happy that you were able to spend so much time with us today. I didn't think we were going to have this much time with you, and, and you are just delightful. Thank you for sharing so much yeah. information with yeah. our listeners. Well, thank you. My husband has locked up the store and took the dogs and went to the house and left me here all by myself. <laughs> oh, oh, go home. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I really appreciate it, and I, I know Walden does, and our listeners do as well, Kathy. Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for all that you do for Old Time Radio, and Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. 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 And there goes Kathy Stucker. Well, I am getting ready to run off the church, so we're going to turn it back to the station here for the next yeah, under three hours, and Patricia and I will be back at 6 o'clock Eastern. And any any anything you want to leave the listeners before you and I come back to them in three hours or so? Mm, not except that we're going to have some more surprises for them later. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Good and, ones. And we love the, and we will have the phone lines open later tonight. And we're going to I'm going to call Santa. We're going to see if he's running around. We'll do that later tonight though. 
we'll do that later tonight. And um, we've got a pretty packed schedule. I'm not even sure that we're going to get to our Christmas shows with Fibber McGee and Molly. And if we do, it's going to be later, like we usually do, after midnight. So, yeah, we'll probably get, um, we'll get to some maybe at 9 o'clock <coughs> for dinner. You never know about that. Uh, I don't know. What? <laughs> Eastern, um, we will allow the king to go have, <laughs> have his Christmas dinner, and we will be here by ourselves listening to Fibber McGee and Molly. I had forgotten that um, he's, he's got it booked in for a Christmas break here, so, and he's coming back with leftovers for all of us. That's right. So Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll be back at 6 o'clock Eastern, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. Yes. Here we go, little Bing Crosby. Malakalikimaka is a thing to say On a bright Hawaiian Christmas day That's the island greeting that we send to you From the land where palm trees sway Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Malakilikimaka is a wise way to say Merry Christmas to you. Malakilikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Melikalikimaka is Hawaii's way To say Merry Christmas to you Hope you enjoy our 
interview with Kathy Stuckey. Christmas Eve morning here in California. December 24th, 2000. The Johnson Wax Program was February. All right. There we go. We're going to play some Christmas shows now. We'll play two of the classic ones tonight. And it is 21, almost 20 minutes before 11 here on my dad's birthday, July 16th, year 2016. Dad turned 85 today. So he's out in the living room, so with mom. So I'll be out there just checking on the family. So first of all, one of the classics. Lionel Barrymore in the Christmas Carol from December 24th. 1939. Then after that, it's a wonderful life. The makers of Campbell Soups present The Campbell Playhouse. Orson Welles, producer. clearly a number of ways in which a Christmas carol could be introduced. Myself, I am most struck by the happy fortune that enables us on this Christmas Eve to present Mr. Lionel Barrymore, the best-loved actor of our time, in the world's best-loved Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. It is the American way, as we know, to establish traditions quickly where popular instinct and sentiment pronounce them sound. And so it is that today, actually, only the fifth anniversary of Mr. Lionel Barrymore's first playing of the part of Ebenezer Scrooge for the Campbell Playhouse, there is, I think, in all America, nothing more eagerly awaited, more firmly rooted in the hearts of the radio family that numbers millions of this yearly performance of A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, as Charles Dickens wrote it, has by common consent long been a classic. Mr. Lionel Barrymore's appearance in it is rapidly becoming one. And now, just before A Christmas Carol, Ernest Chappell has a special Christmas greeting from the makers of Campbell Soups. Mr. Chappell. Thank you, Orson Welles. As the old year draws toward its close, we of Campbell's feel a bond of warmth and gratitude toward each of you, our friends. For you see, in homes everywhere throughout the land, Campbell's soups have been welcomed. Day by day and week by week, you have placed confidence in us and in the foods we make. And there isn't anything we appreciate more deeply than the fact that so many of you have elected to let Campbell's make your soups for you. And so when Christmas comes, we look about to find some way to show our appreciation, some Christmas present by which to say thank you. The gift we chose five Christmases ago and have chosen each year since has become a part of Christmas to many and many a family. It has become a Christmas custom to gather around the radio to hear and to enjoy a Christmas carol. 
And since it is Christmas Eve, we hope, too, that the younger members of the family are permitted to stay up and listen before dreams and visit of Santa. We get a great deal of pleasure planning and preparing this Christmas gift, and now it's ready. Off come the wrappings, off come the tags that say, please do not open till Christmas. Out comes the card, to you from Campbell's. And here is the gift itself. was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead? Of course he did. Scrooge and Marley were partners for I don't know how many years. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone with Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house, a grim, cheerless place if ever there was one. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, Bob Cratchit, who in a cold and dismal little cell beyond worked at his ledgers. 11, 13, 17, 7, carry one. Power and save one. Bob Cratchit! Yes, Mr. Scrooge? Stop that infernal caterwauling! Yes, sir. 9, 15, 17, 29, carry one. Impudence. Singing their idiotic Christmas carols at my very door. Go somewhere else and bellow your blasted carols, or I'll give you in charge. Yes, and I don't want any of your old customs. Take your fellow fools and go away. Christmas. Blah. Right, sir. Merry Christmas anyway, sir. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, Mr. Fred. God save you, Uncle. Ah, humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? No, I'm sure you don't mean that. I mean just that. Exactly that. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What, what reason have you? You're bored enough. Well, what right have you to be dismal about Christmas, Uncle? You're rich enough. Ah. Now, Uncle, don't be cross. Well, what else can I be when I live in such a world of fools? What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money? Merry Christmas. A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips would be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle? Nephew? 
Keep your Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it, but you don't keep it, Uncle. Well, let me leave it alone, then. What do you want? A Christmas gift, I've no doubt. I came to wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle. A Merry Christmas. Much good may Christmas do you. Much good it ever has done you. There are many things from which I derive good by which I have not profited materially, I dare say, Uncle. Christmas among the rest. But I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. God bless Christmas. Hurrah! Let me hear another sound out of you there, Bob Cratchit, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. As to you, nephew, I wonder you don't go into Parliament. You talk enough nonsense. Don't be angry, Uncle. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. I've tried. A Merry Christmas to you, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year, too. Ah, humbug. And a Merry Christmas to you, Bob and the missus, and to Tiny Tim. Thank you, Mr. Fred. Same to you, sir. Good day, sir. Good day, Bob. Nonsense. Twaddle. Blummery. Talking of Christmas and not two sixpences to jingle together in this trousers pocket. You there, Bob Cratchit. Come here. What are you doing there? Only putting a bit more coal on the fire, Mr. Scrooge, seeing it's so cold in there, sir. Well, you put that coal back into the scuttle. A fire! A fire, indeed. I can tell you, if you use coal at that rate, you and I will soon be parting company, Bob Cratchit. You understand that? There's many a young fellow like your situation, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. My fingers were getting a little stiff with the cold. Then put on your mittens. There's someone at the door. See who it is. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. This is the firm of Scrooge and Marley. Yes, sir. I should like to see the head of the firm, if I may. Oh, very good, sir. What is it? A gentleman to see you, Mr. Scrooge. Huh? Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Marley's been dead these seven years tonight. I'm Scrooge. Well, now, Mr. Scrooge, at this season of the year, it's only fitting that we who are more fortunate should raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. You may not believe it, sir, but many thousands are now in want of common necessities. And hundreds of thousands are in want of the simplest comfort, sir. Uh, are there no prisoners? There are plenty of prisons, sir. And the workhouses? They're still in operation, I trust. I wish I could say they are not, but they are, sir. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then? Both very busy, sir. Oh, well, I'm very glad to hear that. I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful cause. No, sir, all these institutions that you mention are flourishing. But it's nevertheless true that some additional provision for the poor and the destitute must be made. A few of us upon change are endeavoring to raise such a fund, you see. And what shall I put you down for? Nothing. Oh, I see. You wish to be anonymous, sir. I wish to be let alone. I don't make merry myself at Christmas time, and I can't afford to keep a lot of idle people and make them merry. I help support the establishments that take care of the poor. They cost enough. Let those who are badly off go there. Many can't go there, sir. And many would rather die. Well, then, my advice to them is to do so and decrease the surplus population. Besides, I've only your word for it that all this is so. It's the truth, Mr. Scrooge. Well, so be it, then. 
It's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, sir. I quite understand, Mr. Scrooge. Cratchit, show this gentleman out. Yes, sir. This way, please. I couldn't help overhearing. I should like to contribute threepence. Cratchit! Yes, sir. It isn't much, but it's all I can afford. But there are others in worse situation than I. You're a generous fellow. I wish I might say so of your employer. Cratchit! Yes, sir. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas. Close the door. Yes, sir. I have closed it, sir. 34, 31, 1 and carry 3. A new scarlet tippet for Tiny Tim. The comb for Martha. 33, 3 and carry 3. Hair ribbon for Belinda. 4, 7, 12, 15. I suppose you want the entire day tomorrow. If it's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient and it's not fair. But I suppose I can't do anything about it. If I was to stop half a crown of your wages, you'd think yourself very ill-used. I'll be bound. Well, sir, I... And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work? It's only once a year, sir. Once a year. Once a year, indeed. A fine excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose it's no good talking. You must have the whole day. Well, see that you're here all the earlier the next morning. You understand? Oh, I will, sir. I will, sir, indeed. Good night, sir, and Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas! Uh, the office was closed in a twinkling, and Bob Cratchit, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no greatcoat, went down a slide on Cornhill 20 times in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play with his family at Blind Man's Buff. Scrooge, on the other hand, took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. Having read all the newspapers and spent the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went to his dismal house. Darkness is cheap and Scrooge likes it. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands through the fog and the frost to find the door. Scrooge walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room, bedroom... Lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet. Closed the door. Locked himself in, double locked himself in. And took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap. And sat down before the fire to take his gruel. Mm. <laughs> Marley. Marley, Marley, I could have sworn I saw, oh, ah, humbug, Marley's been dead these seven years, humbug, it's all humbug, what I need is a good night. Double locked. 
something's... It's, it's coming. Something is... It's coming closer. Outside my door. Ah, I won't believe it. There's humbug still. Ebenezer? 
Yes, Jacob. You always were a good friend to me, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. But go on. Go on. Go on. How shall I escape? Oh, I'm, I'm afraid, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the only chance and hope, Jacob? It is your only chance and hope. Well, then I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow, when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Ebenezer, look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. And remember... When the bell tolls one, look for the first spirit. Marley. Jacob Marley. Scrooge awoke. He was lying on his bed fully dressed. Suddenly the curtains of his bed were drawn aside. Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. As close to it as I am now to you. And I am standing in the spirit at your elbow. It was a strange figure. Like a child. Yet not so like a child as like an old man. Ebenezer Scrooge. <gasps> who? Who is that? Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. You... You are the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold me? I am that spirit. Who, who, what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. But, oh, what do you want of me? What brings you here to haunt me? Your welfare, Ebenezer Scrooge. Rise and walk with me. Oh, no, 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 you're not out of the window. I can't do that. I'll fall down. I'm not a spirit. I'm mortal. I'll fall. Bear but a touch of my hand upon your heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. Come, follow me. become of the city, and there's snow upon the ground. Where are we? These are the shadows of the things that have been. You recognize this countryside? <gasps> oh, I know every inch of it. Every rock, every tree. And that bleak building over there? Ah, that building. I was a boy there. Yes, I went to school in that horrible place. Do you recollect that path? I could walk it blindfold. Strange you forgot it so many years. Come, let us go closer. Look through the window into that cold, barren room. What do you see, Ebenezer Scrooge? I see a boy. A solitary child, neglected by his family, alone. Yes, yes, I see I know that boy. Oh, I was so lonely. Poor boy. Your lip is trembling, Scrooge. And what is that on your cheek? It's nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. I wish I... Uh, it's too late for that now. What's the matter? 
Nothing, nothing. The waits came to my door singing Christmas carols last night. There was a boy like that among them. A poor, thin, pale boy in a ragged coat. I'd like to have given him something. Is that all? Come, Ebenezer Scrooge. Let us see another Christmas. Do you know this place, Ebenezer Scrooge? Know it? Know it? Why, this is the counting house where I was apprenticed. Listen. Why, it's my old master. Bless his heart, old Fezziwig. My master, alive again. And the host of one of his Christmas parties. <laughs> Listen to him. Red the needle and back to your places. And there's Dick Wilkins. Poor Dick. Dear, 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 yes. And look, there's Mrs. Fezziwig herself, looking younger than any of them. And the table's all loaded with roast and cider and mince pie and beer. Oh, what a jolly time we used to have. That carefree young man with the light heart and the gay smile. Do you recognize him? Yes, yes, yes. Merciful heaven. How happy I was then. A small matter for old Fezziwig to make those silly folks so full of joy? Small matter? Small indeed. Isn't it? He has spent only a few pounds of your mortal money. Is that so much that he deserves praise? Ah, it's not that. It's not that, spirit. Old Fezziwig has the power to make us happy or unhappy. To make our service light or heavy. His power lies in words and looks in things so tiny it's impossible to count them up. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost her... What is the matter? Nothing. Nothing at all, Spirit. Something, I think. No, no, Speak. no. No. Only... It's just that I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk, Bob Cratchit, just now, that's all. My time grows short, and we have yet another journey to make. Where now? Come. This is our last visit to the past, Ebenezer. Here, in this little room, with a fair young girl by your side. Do you recognize yourself, Ebenezer? Oh, no, 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 no. Spare me this. You're older now, a man in the prime of life. Your face has begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. Your eyes are greedy. The eager, restless eyes of a miser. No, no, please. She knows it, too. That girl by your side. There are tears in her eyes. It matters little, Ebenezer, to you. Very little. I know that. Belle, have I changed towards you? When we were engaged, we were both poor. Was it better then? Better to be poor? Better at least to be happy. You're changed. 
You were another man then. I was a boy. Do you blame me because I've grown wiser? Have I ever tried to break our engagement? In words, no. Never. In, in what then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit. In everything that made my love of any value in your sight. So I release you from your promise. Belle. Oh, at first it may cause you pain to lose me. A very brief pain. But soon it will be dim, like a half-remembered dream. An unprofitable dream. And you will be glad to be awake from such a dream. May you be happy in the life you have chosen, Ebenezer. For the love of him you Spirit, it's enough. Show me no more. Take me home. These were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. No more. No more. One shadow more. Come. Do you see this man, Ebenezer Scrooge? This man might have been you. And the woman beside him, your wife. And that girl, that girl might have been your daughter, Ebenezer Scrooge. She might have called you father. She might have been a springtime in the haggard winter of your life. Please let me go. Show me no more. Listen now, while they speak, Ebenezer. Bill, I saw an old friend of yours today. Who was it? Yes. Oh, how can I? It. Oh, I know. Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window. It wasn't shuttered. And there was a candle inside, so I couldn't help seeing him. His partner, Marley, lies at the point of death, I hear. And there Scrooge sat all alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, spirit, I can bear no more. Leave me. Haunt me no more. Take me back. Take me back. to the Campbell Playhouse, bringing you tonight the fifth annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, produced by Orson Welles and starring Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even, brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel. When a poor man came in sight, gathering winter fuel. And now, back to the Campbell Playhouse and the fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol. A Christmas present from the makers of Campbell Soups. stroke of one, Scrooge awakened suddenly and sat him bolt upright in his own bed. He remembered the words of Marley's ghost and wondered from which direction the second specter would appear. At that moment, nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. 
Now being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing. And consequently, when no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes, ten minutes, quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. Then as he sat in his bed, he became aware gradually of a great blaze of ruddy light that seemed to shine upon him from the adjoining room. He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. It was his own sitting room, there was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. And there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the corner. Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. You're... I am the ghost of Christmas present. Spirit, take me where you will. Last time I went against my will and learned a lesson which is working now. If you have anything to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe, Ebenezer Scrooge. Touch my robe. Where have you brought me, spirit? To an humble dwelling in an humble street. <laughs> it's miserable enough. Yet there is happiness there. Who are these people? Who's that woman and the children? These are the family of your clerk, Bob Cratchit. See his wife, dressed in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, laying the table for their Christmas dinner. And there, assisting her, is her daughter, Belinda. And the young man with a fork in the stuffing, that's Master Peter Cratchit. And the two little Cratchits. Listen, Scrooge. And watch. Here's Martha, Sit you down before the fire, Martha, and have a warm, Lord bless you. Where's Father? He's been to church with Tiny Tim. They'll be along directly. How is Tiny Tim, Mother? Any better at all? Sometimes I think he is. And sometimes I think, oh, dear God, if anything should happen to Tiny Tim. Oh, Mother, you mustn't even think of such a thing. Oh, Father. Come in. Come in. Come in. Come in. Come Glad to have you, Martha. And how did little Tim behave in church, Bob? Uh, as good as gold and better. <laughs> I like church, Mother. Oh, they sang the nicest songs. I hope people saw me there. Saw you there? And why, Tim? Well, don't you see? Because I'm lame. And if they saw my crutch, it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas who it was made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Bless you, my son. Are we ready to eat, Mother? Oh, come yes, on, children, we're all ready. ready. Come, come, take your places and wait your turn. There's plenty of stuffing and dressing and plum pudding for all of you. Martha, take care of Tiny Tim and see that he eats plenty. Yes, he must mother. get strong and well. Now sit down, everyone. Yes, come on, Tiny Tim. And now, my dears. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. No, 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 kind spirit. Say he'll be spared. Say he'll live. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, Ebenezer, the child will die.
Amen. Amen. And now, my dears, with such a dinner, a toast, a Merry Christmas to us all, and God bless us. God bless us, everyone. And now to Mr. Scrooge. I'll give you a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed, who pays you all a 15 shillings a week. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast on, and I hope he'd have good appetite oh, for my it. my dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Bob. Nobody knows it better than you, poor fellow. My dear Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. And I say God bless him too, Mother, and everyone. Yes, yes. yes. There was nothing of high mark in all this. They were not a handsome family, these Cratchits. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty and had known, very likely, the insides of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another and contented with the time. When at last they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them. And especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. Many calls Scrooge made that night with a ghost of Christmas present. Down among the miners they went who labor in the bowels of the earth. And out to sea among the sailors at their watch. Dark, ghostly figures in their several stations... Much they saw and far they went, and many places they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirits stood beside sick beds and they were cheerful, on foreign lands and they were close at home, by poverty and it was rich, in almshouse, hospital and jail, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door. And barred the spirit out, the spirit left his blessing. It was a long night. It was only a night. And it was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older. Clearly older. My life upon this globe is very brief, Ebenezer. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight at midnight. Hark. The hour has come. Oh, not yet. Not yet. There are still more things I wish to learn. These you will learn from still another spirit. Still another spirit, Ebenezer. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost. It had vanished. He found himself once more in his bed, in his dressing gown, in his nightcap. He'd heard the clock strike. 
then you remember the prediction of old Jacob Marley, and lifting up his eyes, beheld the third spirit. A solemn phantom. Shrouded in black, draped and hooded, coming towards him slowly and silently, like a mist along the ground. I know you. You, you are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You'll show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Answer me, spirit, ghost of the future. Oh. I fear you more than any specter I've seen. Yet, as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, lead on. Lead on! The night is waning fast. Time is precious. Spirit, why have you brought me here again? Here to Bob Cratchit's home? Why is it so quiet? So very quiet here. Mother, please. Mother, please. Oh, my son. My little son. Tell me, Tim. I loved him so. Mother, dear, you mustn't. It's almost time for father to be home. Don't let him see you crying. Yes. Yes, Martha. He's late tonight. He walks slower than he used to. Yet I've known him to walk very fast indeed with tiny Tim on his shoulder. So have I, Mother. But he was light to carry. And his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble at all. Bob. Good evening, my dear. You're late, Bob. I'm sorry, my dear. I... I went to the churchyard today. I wish you could have gone with me. It would have done your heart good to see how sweet and green a place it is. You'll see it often. I promised him. I promised Tiny Tim we'd walk there on Sunday. Oh, Father dear, it's God's will, Bob. I'm trying to understand it, my dear. My son. My little son, Tiny Tim. And I loved him so. Oh, that's cruel. Cruel. Spirit, can't you give me one ray of hope that I may change all that? That tiny Tim may live? shadows of things that will be, or, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Will you not speak to me, spirit? 
What is that grave to which you point? <gasps> now I see. There's writing on that stone. The name on the gravestone is Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. <gasps> oh, spirit. No, no, no. Spirit, hear me. I'm not the man I was. Why show me this if I'm past all hope? Tell me that I may change these dreadful shadows that, that have come, that you've shown me by an altered life. I'll honor Christmas in my heart and I'll try and keep it all the year. I'll live in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me, do, spirit. Please tell me that I can sponge away the writing on that stone, spirit. I beg of you, spirit, spirit. Spirit, I promise on my knees. I promise, I promise, I... I... turkey that was hanging in the window? The one as big as me? <laughs> what a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, my buck? It's hanging there now, sir. Oh, that's wonderful. Now go around, will you, and tell him to send it to Bob Cratchit and his family on Broad Street. And mind you, they're not to know who paid for it. Now hurry along, my lad. And here, here, Here's half a crown for your trouble. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And a Merry Christmas. <laughs> and a Merry Christmas to you, too, my boy. <sighs> oh, I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather, as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. A Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. Next morning, Scrooge was early at his office. He went early for a reason. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late, 
That was the thing he'd set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock had struck nine. No Bob. A quarter past. No Bob. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come in. And at last he came. His hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Eight and 17 or 15, carry the 124, carry the 231, carry the 4. Eight and 6 or 14, carry the 8. Hello, you, Cratchit. Yes, sir. Step this way, Cratchit, if you please. Cratchit, what do you mean by coming in at this time of day? Oh, I'm very sorry, sir. I'm behind my time. You are? You are? Yes, I think you are. Oh, it's only once a year, Mr. Scrooge. It, it shall not be repeated. I was I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. I, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'll not stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, Bob Cratchit, I'm about to raise your salary. Mr. Scrooge, are you, are you quite yourself, sir? No. No. Thank heaven I'm not quite myself. Merry Christmas, Bob. <laughs> Merry Christmas, my good fellow. A merrier Christmas than I've given you in many a year. I'll raise your salary and we'll see what we can do for Tiny Tim and the rest of your family. <laughs> we'll discuss it this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Bob, make up the fire. Make it up and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye. was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. To Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards, and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. have just heard our annual presentation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, starring Lionel Barrymore, brought to you by the makers of Campbell's Suits. And now here is Orson Welles. At this point in the program, ladies and gentlemen, it is my custom, as you know, to present to you with a few words of introduction our guest of the evening. With your consent, I shall dispense with this tonight to introduce tonight's guest to the Campbell Playhouse audience or to any other American audience is an extravagant and superfluous procedure. For if ever an actor has won for himself a lasting place 
in the hearts of his fellow countrymen through years of unsparing and inspiring service, that actor is Lionel Barrymore. Mr. Lionel Barrymore. Thank you, Austin Wells. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the fourth year I've had the pleasure of appearing in the Christmas Carol here on the Campbell Playhouse. And I assure you all, it's a pleasure that never tires. As long as I can remember, this has been one of my favorite stories. When we were children, it was read to us regularly at this time of year, as it is to millions of children right now. And like many of them, I'm sure, the three of us, Ethel, Jack, and I, with the aid of a sheet and some old ironware, made a play of it. As I remember, we had three Scrooges in that production. Mr. Barrymore, who played Tiny Tim? I think we had three Tiny Tims, too. But seriously, I can think of no part that I've enjoyed playing again and again as much as I have the part of that squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, Ebenezer Scrooge. I can think of no happier or more suitable choice for the makers of Campbell's soups to offer the people of America as their Christmas present each year than Charles Dickens' well-beloved story, Christmas Carol. Good night, Orson. Good night, everybody. And a merry, merry Christmas to you all. Good night, Mr. Barrymore. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, for next Sunday night, we're happy to announce our version... A great and truly American story by a great American novelist. Come and get it by Edna Ferber. Against a background of the mighty forests of Miss Ferber's own Wisconsin, it tells a stirring tale of the men and women who live and die in the woods in order that lumber may come down the rivers every spring into the cities of the modern world. Like so many of Miss Ferber's epic romances of American life, it was made from a best-selling novel into a highly successful motion picture. Now we bring it to you on the air. Story of a man and his son and the girl they both loved, Lotta. Played for us by one of the loveliest and most accomplished of Hollywood's younger dramatic actresses, Miss Frances D. And so until next week, until Come and Get It with Frances D., my sponsors, the makers of Campbell Soups, and all of us on the Campbell Playhouse remain, as always, obediently yours. But just a minute, Benny, uh, Benny, ladies and gentlemen, it's the night before Christmas. And all through the Campbell Playhouse, not a creature is stirring that doesn't join Lionel Barrymore in wishing you a merry, merry Christmas. This goes for all of us, from my sponsor, from myself, from all of us, from Don McBain, who runs the machinery in the control room, to Miss Helgren, who types the Campbell Playhouse scripts. A merry Christmas. From Benny Herman and his band of merry melodians, Merry Christmas. You get the idea. From Max Sayers, Torrance. Uh, and uh, from Harry Esmond and his crew of sound effect technicians. Thank you, and from Orson Welles and his considerable aggregation of dramatic talent, which includes, among others, Mr. Frank Reddick, Miss Georgia Backus, Miss B. Benaderet, Mr. Ray Collins, Mr. Everett Sloan, Mr. George Kalouris, Edgar Berriers, Ken Sanford, Tommy Lane, William Allen, Betty Lou Walters, Eric Burtis, and myself and George Spelvin. A Merry Christmas. How about it, ladies and gentlemen? Merry Christmas! And finally, as Tiny Tim says... God bless us. Everyone. The makers of Campbell's Soups join Orson Welles in inviting you to be with us in the Campbell Playhouse again next Sunday evening when we bring you Edna Ferber's Come and Get It 
with Miss Frances D. as our guest. Meanwhile, if you have enjoyed our fifth annual presentation of A Christmas Carol, won't you tell your grocer so this week when you order Campbell's soups? This is Ernest Chappell saying thank you and a Merry Christmas to you all. Columbia Broadcasting System. Christmas Carol, December 24th, 1939. Now to Lux Radio Theater, March 10th, 1947. It's a wonderful life. Lux presents Hollywood. <laughs> Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a wonderful life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Shortages were generally unknown, and simple luxuries like Lux soap were abundant. I won't say that's the only reason people said it's a wonderful life, but I do know from the thousands of letters in our files that most of them said it's a wonderful soap. And they keep right on saying it day after day. In fact, the popularity of Lux soap is what makes it possible to present such entertainment as Frank Capra's great production, It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey who more than anything under the sun wanted to see the world, the wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven, where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I... I'm really going down to Earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., Earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. 
Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Uh, sir, if, uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book. Excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George has had a bad ear. All that icy water, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Well, you good for nothing. Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore I'll ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you use this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Poison? Don't hurt my sore ear again, Mr. Poison. Gower. Oh, George. That's why you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before cut. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you, too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Well, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls, except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand. Could have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, I got a hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. Oh, no, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan and work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, no, no, Pop, I... I... I, I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I, I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I, 
I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I, I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... <laughs> You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in. Yeah, maybe it will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Oh, hot dog. Oh, boy, just like an organ. At least. Hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will. Hey, how old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, no, no. It's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I got to throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, well, it's such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? <laughs> What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers 100 stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey, hey, Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay, the moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it. And, and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair. And the, the, uh, you, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking to her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Well, hey. hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want to. George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? what? George, had... get in. Hurry. <laughs> George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building and loan had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Oh, you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Oh, hold on, Mr. Potter. Hold oh, on. I meant no disrespect, George, but... Oh, wait a minute, Harry. 
Why my father ever started this cheap penny-ante building alone, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Oh, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Well, you get out of here, George. You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business! We're still in business! But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even... I know George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm -hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm -hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How do you... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh -huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? George, is that you out there? Oh, oh hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What did she mean, Carla? I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well? Well, all right, I'll come in for a minute, but I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You fellow can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you get back? Tuesday. Right. Where'd you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. Well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. Sit down for a while. 
It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a page. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry and Sam Wainwright and you. And... For Sam? Harry? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing. And I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... A, you know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. The way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. I've gone crazy, song. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Old Mossback George? Old Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Now, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take the... No, no, here. no. Wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. And he says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. I am not. We, we can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up. It's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans, yeah. Yeah, soybeans, yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George, see? And now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime. Do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George. Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary. George. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. So George Bailey and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, George, I'm... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there at the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the station. No, wait station. a minute. Well, uh, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! In a few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. 
Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins. Looking very smart, too, may I say. Well, thank you, Mr. Keeley. You know, after seeing Paulette Goddard's wardrobe for Paramount's new comedy, Suddenly It's Spring, I just had to rush out and buy something new. Looking at all those lovely clothes was just too much for my self-control. Well, you look stunning, Libby. Oh, thank you again, Mr. Keeley. Now, tell me about the picture. I understand that Paulette's portrayal of an ex-whack is truly delightful. Oh, yes, it is. And Fred McMurray gives a perfect characterization of her wayward husband. Between the two of them, suddenly it's spring is a high-spirited comedy with emphasis on the romantic side. Well, naturally. <laughs> but really, Mr. Keeley, that wardrobe of Miss Goddard certainly will make clothes-conscious girls sit up and take notice. I'll bet you think so, too, Mr. Kennedy. Well, Libby, men seldom know much about styles. What I notice about a dress is the general effect when a woman wears it. Some girls always seem to have that right-on-the-beam look. You know what I mean. <laughs> well, I think what you have in mind, Mr. Kennedy, is good grooming. Screen stars certainly put great emphasis on it. A perfect hairdo, fresh, beautifully cared-for skin. Those are essentials. That must be the reason Lux Toilet Soap continues to be a studio standby, no matter how often other styles change. Well, that's what Miss Goddard told me. She says her beauty facials are so quick and easy and work so well. She's never without a supply of Lux Toilet Soap. I can depend on it for daily complexion care, she said. I wish you'd tell the ladies in our audience how easy these Lux Soap facials are, Libby. Well, here's what Paulette Goddard does. She says, I cover my face with the fragrant Lux Soap lather and work it well in. I rinse with warm water, then cold, and use a soft towel to pat my skin dry. Gives skin quick new beauty, she says. Daily Lux Soap facials do make skin lovelier. Recent tests by skin specialists proved it. In, in three out of four cases, complexions became softer and smoother in, in just a short time. A lovely Lux complexion makes a woman so attractive... I wish every girl who hasn't tried Lux Toilet Soap would begin using it tomorrow. That's sound advice, Libby. When nine out of ten screen stars recommend a beauty soap, you know it has to be good. So why not try Lux Toilet Soap, Hollywood's own complexion soap? We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their safety. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. 
All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open until 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Now, please, folks, now, just a minute. Just a minute, now, please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on, now, please. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, listen to me. Now, you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Oh, wait a minute, now. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Your money's in people's houses, in the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do? Foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now, let me have it. All right. All right, Charlie. Now... You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. And he's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. You still got some money? Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen. Just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by Oh, $20, I suppose. Oh, you're talking. Now, you, Mrs. Thompson, how about $20 you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20. Uncle Billy, pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace. Quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left, hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife, Mrs. Bailey. Mrs. Bailey, that, that's my wife. That's my, uh, give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary, Ma- listen, Mary, I'm sorry. I, I, hmm? Come home. Well, what home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure, all right, sure, I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George, sit down, Lou. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and loan. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters... Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? 
Hey, are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but, but what about the building and loan? Confound it, man. I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no, the... Answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother. George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary... Why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon, and I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. You're, you, you, hey, Mary, Mary, you mean you're on the nest? Well, Mary had her baby, Clarence, a boy. You don't say. Then she had another one, a girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE day, he wept and prayed. On VJ day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment, wanting to die. Well... Sir, well... Well, today's the day before Christmas. Uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly! Useless! Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? We're going to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, 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 good. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter, will you? You know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was... Well, well, Mr. Henry F. Potter come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Gotta make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace. Deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, wh what's that? You want to make a deposit? What well, certainly I want. Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? Uh -huh. 
terrible thing, Clarence, terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositor. George, what, what are we going to do? We've traced every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe, maybe... Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now, listen to me. Now, listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now, try and think. I can't think anymore. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now, get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? I have to practice for the Christmas party, Daddy. What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby. Dad, babies. Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if this was all right. Okay, Mom. Now, what do you mean? What to see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What is it? What do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's this old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? I don't know how you spoke. Ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welch? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? Cut it out. Stop it. George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry. Mary, I, I, I've just got to get out of here. So that's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your account, eh? Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I, you say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come tomorrow. to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy. Hmm? What's your equity in it? $500. And you want $8,000? You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out! All the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where is George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. 
He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God. Oh, God, dear Father in heaven, I, I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if, if you're up there and, and you can hear me, please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I, show me the way to God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel a good. Bailey? You say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey, George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough. She slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You got to fall You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right, um, Mr. Bailey, you, you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. Please don't go away, Mr. Bailey. Please don't go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! In just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they're content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook. I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work, but it's fun, too. You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan? Yes, a native New Yorker. Mm, I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood. Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand. Mm-hmm, yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her, were in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. Just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. It wasn't long before I discovered that she's as keen about Lux toilet soap for beauty care as I am. You know, I'm a Lux girl, too. We're glad to hear you say that, Miss Blanchard, because that's a very beautiful Lux complexion I see before me. Just right for blue eyes and ash blonde hair. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Any girl in pictures is delighted to find out about Lux toilet soap as a beauty care. Active lather facials are so quick and easy, and they really make a difference in your skin. Thousands of busy, attractive women have discovered that, Miss Blanchard. Daily Lux Soap Complexion Care does make skin lovelier. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the choice of nine out of ten screen stars. Lux Toilet Soap is all around beauty care for me. I use it as a bath soap, too. It has such delightful perfume, leaves a lovely fragrance on the skin. Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. I hope our audience will be seeing that lovely Lux complexion of yours in a screen close-up one of these days. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley. Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore.
despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes George in after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. You... You what, mister? Hmm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. <laughs> where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very fine. Very your funny. your lips bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. Oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. Well, what's, the, what's the A.S. 2 for? Angel, second class. <laughs> hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why, why'd you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by... Letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no, we, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Oh, I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, tut, tut, tut. Of I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for you... Yes, if it hadn't been time... for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're well, uh... You're nobody. That's a doggondest thing I ever saw, that, that ear. Your lips stop bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey what's, what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? 
I need a drink. That's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, I... come on. We'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Our clothes are dry, George. Hey, that's, so they are. That's funny. Well, look, let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martini's and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. That's no. right. I forgot that again. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly, huh? What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what? I just love some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, come on, you. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, Two double scotch. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. <laughs> oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Yeah. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. And how old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get. Where's Martini? Will you stop tell asking me? about Martini? He ain't here and he. Hey, yo. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You. You buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's, that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rumhead spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Well, get up, George. Good thing he threw us in the snowbank, huh? Hey, where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. What do you mean I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now, look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. 
Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. I'll put a sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie, I, I don't know what's happened. I'm going crazy or something. I got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid down... You've seen my wife... What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you, we, we built it for you, didn't we? Bud, my wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie, okay, okay. Just step on it. Get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu. Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife. No children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that fancy, I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! biting him. George, run. My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help! Joseph! Joseph! Where'd they go, Ernie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Parents. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Terrence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Terrence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George? You really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence? Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry, the library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me, Mary. Please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! <laughs> Oh, where is he, Joseph? Where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him, a mob. 
They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Charles. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, uh, but the mob... Oh, don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now, hurry up! Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now, get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, what the I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on. George. George, Bert. Bert, do you know me? No, yeah. I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert. Bert. I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look at, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Huh? And where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is! Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert! Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert? We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? What are these, these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've, I've got a little paper here. I'm sorry. Oh, I, but... I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey. Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, yeah. Daddy. Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah. George, George, darling. It's Mommy. Mommy's home. Mary. George, where have you been? Mary, oh, oh, Mary, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened Uh, to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't... Uh, The FBI, the National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh, yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and and come on downstairs. Oh, you... What is it? Can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people I hear, lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look! Just look! Uncle Billy! Money, George, a laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary! I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Oh, Garth, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as hey, I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Good old acquaintance. Daddy, my Christmas there. Who needs to dare? Look at Here, honey. Here's your 
Pleasure, Belle. Daddy, Charlie, what's this on the table here? Uh, the, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Lord, there's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is Welsh says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. boy, Clarence. boy, Clarence. Happy landing. It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight from Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing, uh, Bill. <laughs> you were in Texas for the premiere of this picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty All good down there in Texas, in Texas yeah. Jimmy? Yeah, every one of them. There are five premieres over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. Takes that many to <laughs> do it. Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes, how about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, Master of Arts? Well, I don't, it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied. <laughs> well, you know, Donna has an honorary degree to her credit, too. L-L-C. What's that, Bill? L-L-C? Well, you can see for yourself. A lovely Lux complexion. Well, thank you, Bill. Or rather, thank Lux Toilet Soap. It's a wonderful complexion care. I use it faithfully. With wonderful results, I see. Uh, what's happening next Monday night on Lux, Bill? Next week, we have another of the season's most successful films. It's 20th Century Fox's thrilling screen hit, Leave Her to Heaven, with lovely Jean Tierney. And a star who appears in answer to literally hundreds of requests. Cornell Wilde. Best, based on the best-selling novel of the same name, Leave Her to Heaven is the strange, dramatic story of a woman whose twisted mind and fiendish jealousy drive her to any lengths to hold the man she loves. Now that ought to make great listening, Bill. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Good night. night. Good, Good night, night, and thanks a million. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Lever to Heaven. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used patch kitchen pets to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of pets is still desperately short, and every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen pets. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. 
James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Del Ruth's production, It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Lever to Heaven with Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde. Fry. When you bake and fry, fry. or your cake and pie, fry. it's your shortening by Reliance Fry. Want fried foods crisp, golden, better tasting? Try Spry, the pure vegetable shortening that gives you delicious, better tasting fried foods. So digestible, too, the Spry way. Reliance Fry. S-P-R-Y. Reliance Fry. S-P-R-Y. Be sure to listen in again next Monday night to hear the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Lieber to Heaven. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Theater, It's a Wonderful Life, from March 10th, 1947. So may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless each one of you out there. And we'll get you beyond Sunday night with John Lurie and Ed Cruz. So with that, may the good Lord Jesus Christ take care of each one of you out there. Good morning, everybody. Love you very, very much. Jaws Professional Groove Music Groove Music Alt F4 One Saturday Sev Alt F4 Sound Forge Pro 11